Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 196, Costa versus Vittori. Or, as the kids are calling it, UFC Vegas 41. I am your host, SureDog Senior Editor Ben Duffy. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, Executive Producer of the SureDog Radio Network and host and creator of several shows for that network. Keith, how are you doing this evening? I, I'm doing all right. Um, it took me a second to take my mic, my mic off of uh, uh, mute. Uh, first of all, I want to apologize to any of our listeners. I know usually this show is out Thursday morning. Now it's going to be out Friday morning. That was 100% our fault because me and Ben could not agree on on the weight for this for this show. <laughs> uh, no, no. All joking aside, uh, Ben was very Ben Ben was very Marvin Vittori on this. Very flexible this week with uh, my crazy schedule this week. I was very Paulo Costa where I was making demands of him. And, and Ben Ben is a man of the people, and I obviously am a man of all but myself. So, well, I, I did the full Vittori thing. Like I was I was cool with you yesterday, but then I went and broke a bunch of shit in my house. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so for it's honestly good that we got pushed to today because. As if we'd recorded last night, we'd be talking about this fight being bumped from 185 pounds to a catchweight of 195 and would have had to go in and do a little further correction because as of Thursday evening, when we're recording now, it is officially taking place at light heavyweight. This is a 205-pound fight. I didn't even know that. I honestly that it, didn't know that. Within the last half hour, that just popped oh, up on the news. So for those <laughs> keeping track at home. attention to the main event, I was cramming in tape study of jessica rose clark or something <laughs> um no uh, that means yeah. that for the second week in a row we have a ufc card with zero ranked fighters in the weight classes in which they are competing uh, on on the entire card yeah and that's so unfair to marvin vittori so unfair but you know what I, like how big is this dude's balls well apparently 20 pounds worth yeah uh I will you say know, what this. What the fuck, man? Like, I'm sorry for <laughs> swearing. I, I'm sorry for swearing, but you know, we don't really swear much on this one. But every once in a while, and I apologize if I didn't give you a warning. If you're happy, maybe listening on your computer with kids around or something like that, I apologize to the little ones. We love the little kids. Uh, it's just so unprofessional. It is. Polo Costa hasn't fought in a year. He's had a year to get down to 185. And I mean, we, we hear the stories about how big he is. Walks around at 240 and all this stuff. But even though I'm upset and I'm, 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 it doesn't affect me. I mean, it affects one opponent and how much of an advantage it is for one guy to, you know, move up away where he probably should be fighting anyways. But then just go with that right from the start. Like I'm fighting at 205. Like fight at 205, or even say I want to fight. Like when they come to you with a fight for Vittorio, like I'll fight Vittorio, but it's got to be at light heavyweight. You know, it, I think about when uh, BJ Penn and Nick Lentz was melting off to each other. Nick Lentz was like, yeah, I'll fight you, but it's got to be at 155. They just do that. Like, you know you can't make the weight. It, it's just – it's it's really, really bad. It's really unfortunate. It, but I'm not surprised one bit because I would almost be more surprised if Paul Costa made 185, even though that's what it was. Like, I fully expected him to not make weight or have a very Aspen Lad-type weigh-ins where he's almost falling over and a fight gets canceled because of that. Just it's it's a we need to come up with a better system than we have, 
and I don't, I'm not naive enough to think that we're going to get rid of weight cut and it's just not going to happen. It's been around for wrestling and boxing, for, especially wrestling, for 100 years. But there needs to be some kind of – and I'm not the one – I'm not making any suggestions – but there's got to be a better system for punishment, to rewarding the guys, the guys who t- decide to take the fight. They need to get more compensation. It's just, it's, it's a terrible, it's ugly, and it's, un- it's unfair to press your guy. You know, having an interview with Brett Akimoto where your opponent announces that you can't make weight, and then basically make, you know, with one of the most popular, you know, guys in our industry, like doing the show, so all these people watch it, and they basically make it look bad on Vittori if he says no. Just not fair. Yeah, it, putting uh, putting the fighter on the spot is not fair. And really, this is where, and I, I don't want to get into a whole Ali Abdelaziz tangent here, but just generally speaking, it's the manager's job to step in there and make sure that their fighter is done right by, because you, you know Vittori. For one thing, any fighter who gets to that point, he's like, I've been training for this for three months. I've invested money. I've beat my body up. I've denied myself things I want because I was going to fucking make weight. Like, all of his motivation is to make sure this fight happens no matter what. So all that work wasn't for nothing. Yeah. So the last person you want negotiating in that case, uh, position is the fighter, especially Marvin Vittori, because you know Marvin Vittori just wants to hit somebody. Like that's where the the manager needs to step in and say, "Yes, Marvin, shut the fuck up and let me you know let me negotiate this for you." Because he's ending. He ended up getting twenty percent of Costa's purse. Like right. if Costa if Costa had just shown up and been six pounds heavy. Vittori probably would have gotten thirty percent. Like how? Like how did he get that bad a deal out of this? Yeah, there's got to be some. I'm assuming there's some kind of other backdoor deal, which has to be. But still, it's not enough. Ma- imagine if other sports were like this. Imagine if, um, you know, the Lakers are scheduled to have a, a game, and for some reason, LeBron James is hurt or something. They're just like, you know what? We're not going to play Tuesday. We're going to play Friday when LeBron's hamstring is better. Yep. Like, you know, oh, it's the NBA Finals. Oh, yeah, well, we're just going to move it. Or we're going to adjust this. Or we're, you know, uh, it's just, this is what makes MMA look so unprofessional. And um, there's UFC has a lot to blame for this, but the fighters do, the banners do. The, the, the fighters who take the fight, you know, should get some kind of blame. Um, it's just terrible. And, I mean, obviously, you and I both, you know, will make comparisons between MMA and Major League stick and ball sports all the time. And, you know, they're not all – it's not always an apples-to-apples thing because we're talking about team sports that are much more heavily regulated. But even comparing it to boxing – and you boxing heads out there, like, answer this question for me if you're watching this. When was the last time a major boxing headliner, like, had something like this happen where one guy just – four days out from fight night was like, I'm going to be 20 pounds heavy. Is that okay? Like, just like, like I, I I literally can't think of one. So, you know, just throw it out there if you can think of one, because it just seems completely absurd. Like, and that's as like weird and corrupt and shady as boxing is. That doesn't happen in boxing. And and, (laughs) like this happens frequently in MMA. So it's not like it's one thing that happened once every five years and you talk about Paul Costa and he has this scarlet letter for the rest of his career. That's, that's not the case. Like we just had it with, with Nick Diaz, like the yep. last pay-per-view. And then we're going to have it, uh, you know, we just had Aspen, Aspen, Ladd, Aspen Ladd three weeks ago. Yep. Yeah. And, 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 and in a sense, I respect those guys, Aspen Ladd trying to make the way. And we were just bashing her a couple of weeks ago. Well, she was like, tried to make way. If you're going to get 20% of your purse, well, Marvin Torrey, like, no, no, we're waiting, fighting at 185, make him suck down to, 190 
have him be sucked out more, then take the fight and yeah. have an advantage. Like, Vittori should have had Costa over a fire for this. Just, yeah. but for one thing, you know that if Vittori was just like, screw it, I'll take my show money and go back to L.A., the, not only will fans say, oh, you know, he's chicken, you know, give us our fights, he's scared. But, yeah, yeah. you know, the I UFC know, on some level up. will blame him. The yeah, UFC is yeah. not going to forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How scared is Marvin Vittori that he signed up to fight the guy, shows up, is on, you know, close to wait as it is the week of the fight, is in the building or, you know, the, yeah. the fighter hotel. And, oh, yeah, and his, uh, he recently fought Israel Adesanya, arguably the best fighter in the world. Yeah. No, Vittori yeah. is the least scared fighter I can think of. You can tell that any anybody in the UFC, all the way up to the heavyweights, in the back of his mind, he thinks he can beat him. Like, there's just no question. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's an angry guy and, you know, comes off a little ridiculous and goofy sometimes. But Vittori, balls of rock. Like, uh, you know, hats off to him for making this fight happen for us. Yeah. Vittori's a guy, he goes to the zoo and he's near like the... <laughs> Like he's near the looking gorilla. at the rhinos. Yeah, he's like looking at the gorilla and be like, it's not that big. <laughs> like, could he stop my takedown? Like, like he and and and, and, and you know, as a dad, I make jokes like that, but he like he's probably trying to figure out a plan. Like, oh, he's you know, this dexterity of his arms, I'd have to avoid this, but you know. <laughs> I don't know. That's just how I, I picture Marvin Vitor. We'll, we'll we'll get more into the, how this yeah. Be, but. yeah, but we got we got 13 other fights to talk about between now and then. Eh, some of them interesting, some of them not so much, but they're all going to get uh, the love and attention they deserve. Yeah, maybe we'll get. Hey, maybe this fight will get canceled and we'll get the main event: uh, Grant Dawson awesome. versus Rick Glenn. Oh, don't don't will <laughs> the that. Streak into we're on. The streak we're on. Maybe. <sighs> maybe you you ready to dive into these prelims? Yeah, let's do it. All right. First up at UFC Vegas 41 is a bantamweight matchup between Jonathan Martinez and Zviad Lazishvili. Uh, Martinez, the 27-year-old Texan by way of Denver, is 13 and four overall. He's four and three since joining the UFC back in 2018. Uh, fought most recently in March at UFC Fight Night Edwards versus Muhammad, where he was knocked out in the second round by Davy Grant. That snapped a two-fight winning streak over Tommy Almeida and Frankie Science. He'll be welcoming to the UFC uh, the undefeated uh, Lazishvili, 8-0 out of Georgia, fighting by way of the you know, D.C. area, Northern Virginia. He's a Kaizen MMA guy. Uh, he fought most recently all the way back last September, winning the LFA Bantamweight title. He was actually supposed to fight uh, just a couple weeks, or uh, maybe six weeks ago, he was supposed to fight Jack Shore. Uh, but Lazishvili had to withdraw with some kind of injury. He's back six weeks later, making his debut against Martinez. He is stepping up uh, on just like three days' notice, replacing, I want to say, uh, Arnold Allen? No. He, I, I forget who he's replacing, but he stepped up, you know, on, on just days' notice. Uh, despite that fact, he is the favorite here. The Georgian is minus 150. Martinez around plus 130 uh, as the slight underdog. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of uh, throw ben. it out first on this. Yo, it was, it was Aaron Phillips, Aaron Phillips. Thank Who you. Was I was like, Arnold Allen's way yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was supposed to fight, uh, Chris Motino. Then it was, the uh, you know, Martinez stepped up and one of those two guys out, two new guys in. Thank you. Yeah. Aaron Phillips. Perfect. Uh, Martinez, he's four and three in, uh, in the UFC, but I think he's a little better than that record. I mean, his first fight in the UFC was a short notice thing against Andre Sukumtat. Like, Sukumtat isn't a world beater, but 
uh, that was one where Martinez stepped in on just day's notice uh, and you know lost a decision. Then he lost a split decision to Andre Yule that I actually scored for Martinez. I was there personally. That one was uh, UFC 247 here in Houston. I scored that one for Martinez. Most of the media did. Uh, I mean, fair play to the knockout by Davey Grant. But really, Grant's the only guy that's really beaten full camp Martinez in, you know, six or seven seven UFC fights. Problem with Martinez, he's a little, little bit of a scream at the TV fighter. He's a little too patient. Like, he'll wait, wait, wait for the perfect strike. If it comes, great. If it doesn't come... You know, he loses like he lost to Yule. Just, you know, I disagreed with the decision, but he didn't He didn't go out and win that fight for himself. Uh, Zviad Lazishvili, he could have been in the UFC a full year ago. Like, uh, he's a guy that he disappeared for like four years, during which time he like moved from Georgia to the U.S., uh, settled in the D.C. area, settled in with Kaizen MMA, came back in uh, 2019, won two quick fights in LFA, won their Bantamweight title, uh, he's a, he's a solid prospect. If you're thinking, okay, Lazishvili, Georgian fighter, who's he remind you of? He is a lot less Gigit Chikadze and a lot more Marab Devalishvili or Ilya Tapuria. He is a wrestler who will tap you out if you, if you give him something, or if you don't give him anything, he's willing to just keep top position and, and, uh, make you miserable. That's, I mean, if not for the super short notice, that's a good route to victory against uh, Jonathan Martinez. Like pressure, working for the takedown, not giving him uh, room and time to uncork that perfect strike he seems to be waiting for. I know the odds slightly favor Lezishvili here, despite the short notice. On a full camp, I'd feel stronger about him. But Martinez, just he's deceptively... Uh, tough, deceptively skilled. I think the time at Factory X uh, ha has been helping him. And I don't know if this will be a great fight, but I'm give me Martinez by decision. I, I think he's going to be able to stay off the ground and land enough of his uh, low volume shots to win at least two out of three rounds. Yeah, so this is a really close fight, and I think that's going to be the theme for pretty much every single fight. Like, I don't have a lot of confidence in my picks because one thing, you know, with – the matchmakers going from Joe Silva to the two matchmakers we have now, we have a lot more balance now than we had before. Like it seems they do a really good job. You know, obviously when so many fight guards, guys fall out, we'll have these newcomers going against a really solid veteran. We'll get these lines a little skewed sometimes, but for the most part, the fights are pretty evenly matched. And I think that's what we have right out, right out the, the box. Now it's, it's ironic that the first fight of the night in a card where Paulo Costa can't make weight is Jonathan Martinez, who the last fight uh, he couldn't make weight. He, 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 I don't, I don't even think he, I can't remember if he weighed in or didn't even weigh in. Um, but he's a Southpaw Muay Thai style. I, I agree with you. I think he's underrated everywhere. He's a sharp striker. Uh, he does lack power. He's not a big cracker though. Going all the way back to his Thomas Almeida fight. He did, he did hurt Thomas Almeida in that fight works behind a jab. Um, he likes to work it from a distance, more of a point fighter. Uh, I like that he attacks the body. A lot of lot of teep kicks up the middle, a lot of just kicks in general. Um, he does well to mix his punches and his kicks together in combinations. <laughs> it's funny, for a guy who wants to fight on the outside, he'll occasionally throw this, like, closing the distance, flying knee. Weak, weak takedown defense. Um, I mean, you mentioned, like, 
yeah, it was a short notice fight, but like Andre Sukmatov was taking him down, and that's Andre Sukmatov is not known for his wrestling. He's more of a Muay Thai striker himself. Uh, I'm also worried about his chin. I mean, you go back to Davy Grant fight that, you know, he was knocked out cold to Davy Grant, who <laughs> was never known for his punching power, but then suddenly has punching power. Um, I, I'm also like he said, also concerned with the weight cut, the botch weight cut, like making weight. I think he was earlier this month or last month was the last time he, you know, he was supposed to fight. So it's, you know, having to make weight twice. I'm concerned uh, how much that going to drain him. Move over to uh, Zavid. I'm going to try his last name. Ben is way much better. Lashes Vili. Uh, he, so before he fought in the fought for the LFA battleweight title, you can look at his record and, and just go down to your, the Sherdog fight finder. And it's just like bad record, bad record, bad record. And he kind of was categorized as a camp crasher. Then he fought for the LFA Bantamweight title, which is you – know, winning the LFA title is as good of a regional title you can get. I mean, it's almost a golden ticket, like a warp zone to the UFC. And he went right out and took out a good fighter in Ricky Steele, who, you know, Dana White Contender Series veteran, took him out very first round stoppage to get into the UFC. So you like that coming in. On the feet, I think his striking is pretty raw. Uh, he does press forward, though. A lot of single strikes, though. I, I don't like that. He looks to catch kicks, though, which we just talked about, something that Jonathan Martinez likes to do, kicks up the middle. Uh, a lot of his takedowns are from catching kicks. Uh, strong uh, clinch game. It, it, if, he, you know, if he doesn't catch the kick, he just follows it in. Uh, smothering top pressure if he gets you down. Uh, he will stall on top, though. It kind of gets a little boring on top. But if he gets a good position, strong ground and pound, quick, quick back takes. You mentioned um, – Marab style. I don't think he has the the output. Definitely not the output on the feet. He's not as wild man on the feet like Marab. He also doesn't have like the insane pace that Marab has, uh, and I don't think he has the entries. But he's probably a bigger submission threat than Marab is. Like he's he's got nine submissions win in his career. Um, the one thing I don't like is when I was going over his you know recent fights. He went against a guy named Josh Hubber just two fights ago, and he mm-hmm. was easily winning that fight. And then he really gassed out and lost the third round to a guy that's you know nowhere near UFC level. So as the prediction goes, this is a really tough call. Um, you mentioned, uh, and I apologize if I'm saying his name wrong, Lashesvili is taking the fight on really short notice. Uh, it, this is his UFC debut. However, I still like his wrestling. Uh, if Andre Sukmatov can take down Martinez three times, even I know Martinez has a short camp, I see Lashesvili doing the same thing. I see him work for takedowns and stalling his way to a really ugly decision. And plain and simple, like Georgian fighters don't lose. It <laughs> seems like recently. So uh, I, I follow the trend. I mean, I, I I figure you know it's like stocks. Like the stock is about you know we have this really hot stock that's probably going to crash eventually. Uh, maybe I should be selling now, but I'm still buying. So uh, give me the Georgian fighter. And I mean, meanwhile, Mar- Martinez is from Texas, but he left to go train somewhere else. So. Next up on the UFC Fight Night 196 undercard is a strawweight matchup between Lavinia Souza and Random Marcos. Souza, the 30-year-old Brazilian, is 14 and 3 overall. She's 3 and 2 in the UFC. Uh, she did lose in her last outing uh, a first-round TKO at the hands of Amanda Lemos back at UFC 259 in March. She's taking on Marcos, the a uh, Canadian who goes by Quiet Storm is 36 years old. She is 10, 11, and 1 overall. She is 
six, ten, and one in the UFC on a four-fight losing streak. Uh, she has lost in uh, that streak to Amanda Hibas, Mackenzie Dern, Kanako Murata, and most recently back in May, Luana Pinheiro, who actually beat her by a disqualification due to a illegal upkick. Uh, Marcos was on her back, did an upkick as Pinheiro was on her knees. Uh, the kick basically flatlined Pinheiro, just asking where she was and if she'd lost the fight. Uh, Marcos was disqualified, and uh, fair play to her. Seemed distraught, really, that she might have like hurt the woman more than just, oh, I lost this fight, since clearly you know, lo losing fights is, is an old hat to Marcos, but hurting other people is, is kind of new. She, so. go she, she goes... <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I was obviously I was going to lose, but at least I didn't get, get lose in a bad way. <laughs> uh, uh, the weirdness around that loss, honestly, may be the only reason the Marcos is still in the UFC at this point. Uh, she did set a record there for a while by alternating wins and losses with one draw in there for like her first 10 or 11 fights in the UFC. Those days are over. She's lost four straights uh, and the first three at least, you know, were real legit losses. Despite that, this fight is close to a pick'em. Uh, Souza minus one twenty-five, Marcos plus one ten uh, as the very slight underdog. Keith, who have you got in this one? Uh, so, yeah, this is this is a very interesting fight, and just it's oh man, <laughs> Ronda Marcos is she is what she is at this point, and I think she's what she said you're thirty-six. So I, mm -hmm. I doubt that suddenly she's going to make big jumps in improvement. I think we just kind of know what she is. She isn't a good athlete. She's a average striker that is more of a boxer than a kickboxer. Not many kicks thrown, but she will fight in blitzes where she kind of stays all the way out, all the way out. Then she just kind of wants to get in and, and explode with a combination. And she does throw combinations, which I like. She generates some power by sitting on her punches. And she also, she's a, like a thicker girl for the weight class too. So just like has natural uh, more muscle than it seems like most of her opponents. Uh, she's very physically strong where she likes to grind in the clinch, kind of be a bully in the clinch, uh, make it kind of ugly. I would say she's an above average wrestler. I don't think she's, uh, I actually think her wrestling might be a little overrated. Um, she's definitely a top side grappler. She's not, you know, sticking her on her back. She's, she's a little bit in trouble. I don't like her setups, though. So sometimes she'll shoot from way too far away and kind of get stuck underneath her opponents. And her defensive wrestling, to her credit, is uh, – um, I mean, to her – what's the word I'm looking for? To her, like, it, to her it, de detriment? <laughs> yeah, to her detriment. Like, it's not as good as people think it – like, she gets credited. Because we just – think of a wrestler. And so many times we think offensive wrestling. We don't think defensive wrestling. I mean, like, like take the Murata fight. Like, Murata was taking her down fairly easily. Um, she – one thing I do like her, like she's not a submission threat. So when I'm saying she's a top side grappler, like she's not going to pull a submission to the bottom. But I like that she understands. It seems like she understands that she she's not going to pull a submission. That she does try to work to her feet, and she's hard to hold down. If she gets a takedown, she's pretty good on top. Another thing I like about Marcos, and it just by the way I'm breaking it down, I think she's better than her record suggests. I think she's lost in some good competition. I also like that she can go hard for 15 minutes. Like she's always going to make, even in the fight when she's clearly outmatched, she's going to make it ugly, um, doing her best. Now, Hanato Souza, she's she's a little undersized. She probably could be an atom weight. I really liked her in Invicta, but she has seemed to not improve at all since those days. And she might even like took a step back. Um, kind of one of those, she's a better as a big fish in a little pond than the other way around. Uh, 
she she is well rounded per se. She switches stances a lot, uh, though I think she's probably a little better in the orthodox stance. Nice Chris jab, but she does like to pillar her punches. I, I know a broken record. I hate pillaring in MMA. Likes uh, a lot of leg kicks, uh, but she can be backed up against a cage with pressure. Uh, she can be bullied in the cage. She's a decent wrestler, probably more of a grappler, you know, more jujitsu practitioner than than a like NCAA folk style wrestling skilled. Uh, she looks to advance position on the ground. She has a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, she can get submissions both the top and bottom like that. But I hate her fight IQ. I mean, you, you go back to like the Brianna Van Buren. This is the fight that really bothers me. She tried to have a slow kickboxing match. And when and <laughs> like Van Buren just backed her up and bullied her up against the cage. And that was like the era she needed to stay away from. She had to like think about the, the cage as like – electric shock and circle away and no she just easily got backed up to the cage uh go back to the Amanda Lemos fight she did the same thing where she should have actually been closing the distance trying to clinch and and crowd Amanda Lemos but in instead she backs up against the cage and just turns into a punching bag um and stays on the end of her punches so as far as prediction goes I don't really like the fight IQ of either one I can't believe I was just talking about the fight IQ of Sousa and Completely know that Raina Marcos decided to try to grapple with Mackenzie Dern and took Mackenzie Dern down. <laughs> um, like, hey, I'm going to take you down, and then I'm going to try to like get, I'm going to get stuck in a submission and try to fight that off. <laughs> like, that's going to be my game plan. Uh, this is a really close fight. I'm going to go with Marcos in an upset. She is just physically more imposing of these two fighters, and I think she can do what Van Buren did. I think she can just back up Sousa to the cage. I think Sousa's going to give her that advantage. I think she can just outmuscle her. Uh, get some takedowns and kind of fight off submissions from Suzer on the bottom. Suzer's a very good grappler. She's not Mackenzie Dern. Like she's, I, I don't think she's going to submit Marcos. So uh, give me Marcos as as my first upset pick. I thought I thought I was going to be the smart one here. <clears throat> it's four and a half years ago that uh, Lavinia Souza knocked out a Yamaha Kasaki Hamasaki in uh, Invicta, and I think I have been overrating Souza ever since. Because, like, in back-to-back fights, she had a really close fight with Angela Hill, who at the time was, like, the number one, number two woman in the uh, uh, the strawweight division in Invicta. Then knocked out Hamasaki, who, uh, yeah, Hamasaki typically fights at 108 in Ryzen, but just flattened her. And I think I kind of have overrated her ever since. Even leading up to her fight with Lemos, I picked her to beat Amanda Lemos, and I felt stupid almost immediately once they actually started fighting. What I needed to get through my head is that her win streak, just it has not aged well. Like, you know, after the Hamasaki fight, she gave Janaza Moranjan her first career loss. That looked great at the time. It has not aged well because Moranjan just has not turned out to be that good. The Alex Chambers yeah, win. Sorry to interrupt you. Like, everybody was high, high on her, too. Like, what a bust. Yeah. That's a good point. Sorry to interrupt Yeah, you. just been a disappointment on the level of you know, uh, an Ariane Lipsky just with not, without quite the same amount of hype coming in because Lipsky had the KSW title, had the looks and everything. But that sort of thing, we're just, it hasn't panned out. And in the UFC, she's beaten 40-year-old Alex Chambers, Sara Froda, one of the lowest-level women in the division, and Ashley Yoder, who is like three and six in the UFC right now. What In her losses, she's been bullied by stronger women who are willing to pressure her. As you pointed out, 
if nothing else, Randa Marcos is a stronger woman who's going to try to pressure her. And I'm absolutely with you here. Uh, against people not named Mackenzie Dern, Marcos is well capable of taking herself on taking care of herself on the ground. And if nothing else, to a fault, she's going to come forward and uh, throw punches. I think you're right. I think that's going to be enough to get Souza out of her element. You know, she doesn't fight well off the back foot, but she spends a lot of time there if you if you march forward. And I think she will just walk her into the fence. You know, probably lots of low power, high volume boxing out of uh, Marcos. If they end up spending a lot of time in the clinch there, that wouldn't surprise me either. Probably won't be the most enjoyable thing to watch. But I think Marcos will be relatively safe there as well because Sosa just she's not the physically overpowering thing she seemed to be at the at the Invicta level. So I'm with you, uh, Marcos, the very slight upset by decision here. We keep it going in the flyweight division as it is uh, Jeff Molina welcoming Daniel Lacerda to the UFC. Molina, the 24-year-old out of Glory MMA and Fitness, is 1-0 in the UFC since getting signed out of the 2020 version of Dana White's Contender Series, uh, where he defeated uh, my local homie Jacob Silva, fair play to him, then made his uh, UFC debut against Auri Chileng at UFC 261 back in April, uh, won a unanimous decision in a very fun fight. Uh, he'll be taking on Lacerda, the 25-year-old Brazilian uh, and teammate of Alex Cowboy Oliveira. Goes by the nickname Miojo, which is a popular brand of instant ramen in Brazil. And I guess he was so poor that when he showed up at his gym, like the only thing he owned was like a backpack full of instant ramen and Brazilians being Brazilians, that's what his nickname ended up being. So it is Daniel Top Ramen uh, Lacerda <laughs> coming to the UFC. Uh, the 25-year-old is 11-1. and one. Uh, Worth noting about this guy, his only career loss was a TKO via shoulder injury. Like, he just took a weird swing. His opponent didn't even touch him in the 38 seconds of the fight. So if you ask him, he feels undefeated, thinks it should have been a no contest. But regardless of how you feel about that particular result, he's never actually been beaten by anybody in the cage. And all of his wins are uh, by finish. Five uh, KO or TKO, six submissions. Uh, comes most recently out of Shudo Brazil, which is a good feeder league for uh, those lighter weight classes in particular. Uh, despite those credentials, Lacerda is the slight underdog here. He is plus 140. Uh, you can get Molina at minus 160 as the favorite. Uh, Keith, uh, off camera, you were saying to me that you're pretty high on both these guys. So I'll, I'll tell you to just uh, go ahead and tell me what's good here. Yeah, so first of all, it's a flyweight fight. So, you know, we love flyweights. Like, when was the last time there was a boring flyweight fight? I seriously can't. I, I can't think of the last bad flyweight fight. Yeah, <laughs> think about this is not that long ago we were getting rid of the division. Uh, it, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I, I could be a smart ass and say Caitlin Jukagian, but you mean men's flyweight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Molina, Molina was, you know, came up the contender series. He's, he's a good addition. Southpaw. Not a great athlete, but he's just so technically sound fighter. Um, he's an outstriker, can stalk his opponents, but still keeps his distance. Like uh, we just talked about Menelemos, what she was doing to uh, Sousa. Kind of similar where he's coming forward, but still keeping his distance as he does it. Very good output. A lot of kicks, uh, kicks to everywhere the body. While he's a technically sound striker, he can brawl it up if, if, if you get him there. I don't think it's the best strategy, but he's showed some improved power. Um, one thing I like is 
so he kind of, you know, a lot of people throw kicks and they throw them naked and he does the same thing if he's thrown it. But what I do like is that he uses the kicks as a setup. And this is like um, something that I've been noticing from that. I've been noticing coming to MMA a lot more. Like we're seeing more of it where it's usually, you know, punch set up the kicks. He likes to do kicks followed by punches or kind of like almost throws like a teep kick into his guy, like follows the kick into the combination. I like that. Something we're seeing a lot more. Um, He's shown some some durability. He's you know he's his last fight he got hit with some big big shots, um, was hurt, almost knocked down, but survived, and then showed like ability to eat a punch and then land a better punch of his own. Um, I would say he has plus power too, like to to help him win exchanges. I don't think he has the like, big knockout power, not not many flyaways too, uh, but he's well rounded too. Good takedowns, both entries and body locks. Uh, solid takedown defense if you shoot on him. Uh, he looks to advance once he's on the ground. Good back control. He does, I think, he has four submission wins in his career. Um, though I, I wrote this a lot when I did the contender series preview. He, he'll lose position chasing submission, which uh, is always dangerous. Now, Lacerda, the first thing that jumps out to me, this guy's only 25. So, like, I love that. I didn't know the old ramen noodle story. I like that even more. Like, that's a cool story, um, <laughs> especially especially if he becomes a star. Mm-hmm. If this becomes Jose Aldo one, like how great was the story is that? His nickname is is about when he was so poor. Um, he's a finishing machine. He's got I think he's got eleven wins, eleven stoppages. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ten of them came in the first round. Uh, he's also well rounded. I think he's a good addition to the UFC roster. I know some people are extremely high on him, like thinking he could be a champion, a tackle contender one day. I'm not sure where I stand there. Like I don't. I'm not saying I'm not high on him. I don't know if I'm throwing that kind of praise on him yet. Like, this is a tough fight in UFC debut. And um, I think he's, ta- he's taking this on short notice, you said, right? Um, Not ultra short notice, no. no uh, he, he's was, known about this fight for at least a couple months. Okay, well, I, I don't know why I thought it was short notice. Um, probably because so many fights are short notice. Um, he, so on the feet, he fights out of both stances. Uh, he's got some good boxing, very slip and rip. Uh, style, which is my favorite style of boxing. Um, good head movement. Uh, tosses out an occasional spinning attack. His entries are kind of ugly. He's very reaching. Uh, very. Um, who's the word I'm thinking of? Like, uh, who's a guy from Bellator that used to do the crazy entrances? What's his name? Uh, Rickles. Uh, Dave Rickles style. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like can get the fight to the ground, but he's not a power wrestler. More kind of reaching. Uh, Michael Kessick kind of similar, but he's very, very strong. Like I've seen a lot of fights where he just gets around your hips and you pick him up and you're, you're getting slammed. Uh, a very aggressive ground and pound. He's a submission threat. He's got six subs. If you put him on his back, though, he plays BJJ, which you know I hate, and he's a weak defensive wrestler. And obviously cardio is a major question mark because we haven't seen him go deep. So as far as prediction goes, this is a really, really close fight. Like to me, I, I think Molina's, you said it was what, what one – 70 negative 170 favorite something like that 160 like, yeah 160 okay yeah i i like both fighters i think the line should be pretty much a pick em. um i think lacerda has the higher ceiling but i think molina probably at this point in the career is more technical and more polished especially yeah. on the feet um molina's also faced a better competition and he showed he can go 15 minutes so i'm going to lean towards Molina by decision, but with zero confidence. And if Lacerda like subs Molina in the first round or starches him or something like that, like 
I will not be shocked. I think we have some really fun exchanges. So because I'm I'm such on the fence, I'm gonna put this and because it's flyweight and such an easy cop out for me, I'm gonna make this my fight of the night pick. So give me uh, Molina, but decision, but in an absolute war. Awesome. Yeah, I, I agree with your assessment of both these guys. You mentioned that Molina doesn't really present as as a super plus athlete. Lacerda does. Like you can tell. Like you look at him, he's a physical specimen. Uh, he like the the crude like potato level video that's available of his earlier fights. Uh, you know, you can tell that he's like a fast twitch athlete. And you kind of alluded to. I think being a better athlete and just a better fighter than the low-level guys he was taking on in Brazil has allowed him to develop and get away with some habits that will not continue to serve him well at the UFC level. Uh, you know, things like shooting from too far outside, things like being willing to concede bottom position and just, you know, play guard off his back until his opponent makes a mistake. Uh, that's going to cost him at some point in his UFC run. Like, like even if this guy does become like a, a top 10 you know, fly away to a future title contender. I bet he's going to take a bad loss somewhere in his first three U UFC fights. It's going to be a head scratcher. I don't think this is the one. I think he's going to come out like a, a house on fire and kind of make, uh, you know, make a, an eye-opening entry to the UFC. Not necessarily because he's uh, better than Molina, you know, which he might not be right now, even though I think his he does have a higher ceiling. But just because... If Molina and uh, James Krause have as much difficulty finding quality tape on the Serta as, as I did, he's going to come out, you know, and just his game is going to be surprising. Uh, he's a fast starter. Obviously, he has like 10 first round finishes in, in 11 wins. Uh, give me Daniel Lacerda just to take it as the slight underdog and win this thing by first round submission and uh, announce himself on the UFC stage. Oh, one charming thing uh, he said in there's an interview with Lacerda that's on the Sherdog front page right now from our new Brazil uh, correspondent, uh, Christian Stein. But he was just kind of like, I'm not scared of anybody. Nobody in this division has knockout power except Davis and Figueiredo. Like, I, I thought that was <laughs> kind of, a, kind of a, a charming, like, dose of reality about his weight class. But, yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Next up on the prelims of UFC Vegas 41 is a lightweight matchup between two gentlemen uh, in need of a win, but in possession of two of the uh, more charming nicknames uh, in the division. It is Kama, the Death Star Worthy versus Jai, the Black Country Banger Herbert. Uh, Worthy, the 35-year-old Pittsburgh native, is 16-8 and eight overall. He is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Uh, he won his first two fights over Devontae Smith in one of the biggest... Uh, betting upsets in UFC history, then uh, choked out uh, Luis Pena in his next fight. However, he has lost to Atman Azatar and Jamie Malarkey since then in a combined oh, about two minutes of cage time. So uh, two bad knockout losses for the Death Star. Apparently somebody found the thermal exhaust port and everyone has been shooting the torpedoes into it since then. Uh, next up to try will be Herbert. The 33-year-old uh, West Midlands native is 10-3 and overall. He is 0-2 since joining the UFC out of Cage Warriors Fighting Championship. He lost his debut last July to Francisco Trinaldo, who appears further up this card, then uh, lost back in June by second-round rear-naked choke to Hinato Moicano. So, uh, five years ago, this probably would have been a loser-leaves-town fight. In 2021, who knows? But nonetheless, neither of these guys wants to be the one to test it. Herbert, a uh, moderate favorite here. He's minus 180. You can get uh, Worthy at plus 155 or so on the comeback. 
Uh, Keith, who do you like in this one and why? So this is, uh, man, uh, what is this, our fourth fight? <laughs> this is the fourth one in a row where this is a tough fight to pick. Um, so I guess I guess I'll start with Kama Worthy um, just because he's, yeah, he's been fighting a lot more. Well, he also has a lot more fights in the UFC. Um, the last time we talked about Kama Worthy, I said that I thought he was a bit of an overachiever, uh, that he was winning fights by just being a really tough dude, um, not that skilled. And I think that might have finally caught up to him. And I think that's why he has two bad losses in a row. And when I say bad losses, I don't mean like he's lost to guys who aren't that good. He's lost to guys I really like. Yeah. It's just how he lost. Like he's lost bad. Like he got smoked. Uh, so I think that might be kind of catching up to him. And he's he's shown that he's more of a mid-tier guy in the division, which is nothing wrong with it. It's still one of the best guys in the world. Uh, but not the, the, a lot of his excitement has gone. Now he's a counter striker. Got some good power. That's the thing that jumps off the page. He attacks the body. A lot of hand fighting. He likes to set it up by um, kind of pulling your hands away from the body, like away from, you know, he's pulling his opponent's hands to set up his shots. Uh, he defensively he pairs punches, which I like. Um, good head movement, but not very flat footed though. Surprisingly, like he he avoids with his head. He doesn't avoid with his footwork. Um, he's a weak defensive wrestler, but his grappling and, and his grappling needs improvement. He was mounted by Luis Pena. Uh, he almost got hit in arm triangles, but to his defense, he did submit Pena. But my biggest concern moving into this fight is his chin. I mean, Azadar starched him. Jamie Malarkey starched him. Um, Jamie Malarkey's a guy that both me and you really like a lot. Um, and and Azadar, they're both really good. Now, move over to Herbert. <laughs> like, we just talked about, like, the two guys that that Worthy just lost to. How about the start for for Herbert? Like, I don't know if Herbert really pissed someone off, but Francisco Trinaldo and Otto Moicano to start UFC run? Like, what the hell? Like, like one of the most experienced, just tough outs in Trinaldo, and then, like, Moicano, like a former... I, I don't title challenger. Title challenge. Uh, well, no, he never... No, 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 no. He he fought Brian Ortega, but yeah, yeah he's he's main evented mm-hmm. <laughs> UFCs and stuff like just a top title, you know, former ranked guy. Um, so uh, Herbert, he's light on the feet, lots of movement, good lateral movement, kind of the opposite of of common worthy. Uh, long and lengthy, lots lots of jabs, nice snap on his power shots. Uh, his straight right is very accurate. He's he, I think he's got plus power. He has eight knockouts on his record. Uh, go back to the Trinaldo. He hurt Trinaldo. Uh, I like that when he gets inside, he's got like a mean streak in him, slicing elbows. Uh, he can wrestle. He took Trinaldo down, which is a big, big uh, accomplishment in itself as he's a very well-rounded fighter. Um, go back to those regional fight scenes. He's got some slick back takes. He's 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 not just a striker. Uh, he uses his long legs to lock in body triangles. I would say he's a weaker defensive wrestler. Um, as he was easily taken down by Moicano and out grappled. But Moicano's a very good grappler. Um, and I am worried about his chin a little bit as he was knocked out by Trinaldo. So prediction, like I said, fourth fight, fourth tough one in a row to pick. Worthy probably has the power advantage, though I think Herbert is probably the more technically sound fighter. He also probably has the wrestling advantage in his in his back pocket. Herbert has more avenues to victory, so I say he finds a way to win. So give me Herbert by decision in a fight that I have zero confidence in this pick. So a fight that I really feel like I don't have a firm grasp on it. 
Man, I mean, I've gone back and forth on who I think will win this fight, but the thing I was surprised uh, to hear out of you is that you think this is going to go to decision. I just see this as two guys that are going to force the issue, and both of them have power, and both of them have, like, kind of defensive lapses. I mean, I'd expect one of these guys to knock knock the other out in the first round. Like, uh, Herbert is one of those guys, and you did, a like, a, a great breakdown of kind of his array of offensive tools, but... You know, sometimes you'll talk about tall fighters that become infighters by preference. Like Tim Means is usually your go-to example of that. And then there are tall fighters who they become infighters either just because they have bad instincts for it or they just have never figured out how to keep people at range. Herbert's kind of got a mix of the two. Like, I, I feel as though he lets guys with less reach get in on him, even when it's not to his advantage. Uh you know, that's what I saw in, in the Trinaldo fight. Just Trinaldo's a much, much shorter guy, and a lot of the striking seemed to take place at Trinaldo's, like, uh, preferred range. I, I understand why Herbert's the favorite here. He's 0-2, but he's 0-2 against guys that are just, frankly, better than Worthy. But Herbert's exactly the kind of guy that Worthy could get back on track uh, against. So I'm going to go with the slight underdog here. I believe that makes four underdogs in a row that I've picked to <laughs> open this thing. Nice. Uh, it's not on purpose, uh, but give me Kama Worthy by first round knockout, and it won't mean that Kama Worthy is back and suddenly he's a top 10 contender. And unfortunately, it doesn't mean that Herbert like is not UFC material, but I think this is just where two guys' styles are, are going to clash and just make it a bad night uh, for Herbert. Yeah, yeah, we'll so, go on. yeah, so... I want to I want to clarify something. You said like you're surprised that I picked a decision. Yeah, I'm actually surprised too. Uh, you, you know, it's like picking a decision a lot of times is my go-to. Like I don't know who's going to win, so it's really close. Let me go with the decision. But I think you're right. Yeah, I, I think you made some good points. So I went with Herbert. So I'll go with Herbert with first round. I'll, I'll change mine to first round knockout for Herbert. There so we you go. go. Herbert worthy. I'll go. Her yeah, I got Herbert. You got worthy. Both first round knockouts. Awesome. You're right. Yeah. Why not? I you're think, right. I think convinced. Good call. I think I think one of us is probably right. <laughs> Now in the middleweight division, it is Jamie Pickett versus Loriano Staropoli. And uh, if the last fight was high pressure because both guys were coming in on two-fight losing streaks, well, this one has a guy on a two-fight losing streak against someone on a three-fight losing streak. So uh, definitely elevated stakes here. Uh, Pickett, the 33-year-old North Carolina native, goes by the Night Wolf. He is 11-6 and six overall. He is 0-2 uh, in the UFC after joining out of his third try on Dana White's Contender Series. He appeared on the very first episode all the way back in, uh, what was that, 2017, uh, 2018, and uh, lost to Charles Bird. He came back in season three, lost to, I believe it was Maki Patolo, and then came back in last year's uh, edition of the show, finally uh, defeated Jonathan Patti to punch his ticket to the big show, but it's not been good results for him since. He has lost to Tafan and Chukwi, and then most recently, back in May at UFC 262, he got knocked out by Jordan Wright in all of 60 seconds. He'll be taking on Staropoli. The 28-year-old Argentinian is 9-4 overall. He is 2-3 in the UFC. He won his first two UFC fights against Hector Aldana and uh, Tiago Alves. Since then, he has dropped three straight, though in fairness to him, they've been all against tough customers and Muslim Salikov. Tim Means, and most recently, back in June, Roman Dolides. Uh, you know, that was a meeting of Staropoli, former welterweight against Roman Dolides, gigantic former light heavyweights. Uh, nonetheless, you know, he he made it to the decision. 
Odds on this one do heavily favor uh, Staropoli. He's the highest favorite so far on this card. He's minus 240. You can get Pickett at plus 200. Uh, the only thing that gives me pause here in just picking Staropoli outright, because I just pick it, you know, he, he's proven not quite to be UFC material. Um, uh, Pickett is... He's definitely screaming at the TV fighter. He will wait, 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 and just not throw enough volume and just, you know, lose rounds to guys even when he is the better striker and, the you know, the bigger, stronger athlete. Uh, Starpoli, you know, uh, I think he's a better athlete. I think he's better on the feet as well as on the ground. Uh, but Starpoli is undersized and underpowered at 185, and Pickett really is not. So my only concern is if Pickett just decides to you know, turn this thing into more of a, of a grindy thing. If he decides to throw more volume, uh, if he tries to like, you know, force the clinch and just wear on star Poli. but that those are all scenarios where he does something that I haven't seen him do in his UFC run and his three appearances on the contender series. So I'm going with star Poli. I think star Poli has a very hard ceiling at 185. I don't know if he can drop back down to 170 or he just needs a couple years and some different physical training to really grow into uh, a UFC level middleweight body, but at least for this Saturday, what he's got should be enough. Give me a star Poli by a pretty one-sided decision. Yeah. So sorry, I was distracted. If you guys saw me texting while Ben was talking, um, I just looked at Twitter and we had we actually had just I was just answering two people on Twitter that was <laughs> messaging me saying, "Hey, where's the where's the where's the show?" Uh, so again, sorry for getting out a daily. I know I can speak for both me and Ben. It means a lot to us that people listen to our show. And it means even more that people message us and they look forward to hearing me and Ben talk about it. Um, we spend a lot of time doing film study. I think we do pretty well. Uh, even if we get the picks wrong, we'll be at least somewhat prepared. So it means a lot to us. So so appreciate that. Uh, so as far as this fight goes, I'm going to read the same thing I, I, I think it was two or three weeks ago when they were supposed to fight. I'm just going to mm -hmm. read the same notes because nothing changed. Um, I know I think it was Jamie Pickett's coach or one of someone in his camp got COVID, so he got yeah. pushed back. Uh, Darapoli. He fights out of both stances, slip and rip style, which seems like a lot of fighters on this card. Uh, Sarah snap in his punches, high output. He throws a lot of combinations. He gets hit a lot because he tends to admire his work. And what I mean by that, he doesn't really rechamber his strikes, um, kind of drops them down. Or, or, or a lot of times, like uh, guys rechamber, when you throw a strike, you put it out and you bring it straight back. You're supposed to throw, when you throw a punch out, you're supposed to bring it back to your face just as fast. But some guys, they like to punch and they do this like down movement, like reshuffling it. And that's how a lot of guys get knocked out by doing that. Um, but he'll throw a couple spinning attacks, hard leg kicks. He really struggled in the clinch against Tim Means. Weak takedown defense, uh, though he does have a good get-up game. And he slowed down against Tim Means. And again, as you mentioned, he's up a weight class. Um, I mean, he's recently moved up to middleweight from welterweight. Uh, Jamie Pickett, completely opposite. He's big for the weight class. Um, he has feasted on some low-level competition to get in the UFC. Um even his win against Ike Villanueva wasn't that impressive. He has a karate background, despite um, despite throwing a lot of spinning attacks. I would say he's not a great athlete. Uh, he's a little slow. Uh, he keeps his hands low. His chin might be an issue as he was easily knocked out by Anthony Hernandez. Um, he was knocked out by uh, Joaquin Buckley. Uh, or maybe it was... I feel like he Buckley was beating him up, and he the, I think he just beat him up really bad. He should have been yeah. stopped. Yeah, sorry, he should have been, should have been stopped. 
he lacks power, um, though he is good in the plum clinch, uh, as he can use his height and size, knees up the middle. I say he's an okay wrestler. He is a submission threat. Um, as far as prediction, a couple weeks ago, I was picking Staropoli by decision with zero confidence. I'm going to do that again, <laughs> but with even less confidence, because now I had two or three more weeks to realize that Staropoli isn't that good. <laughs> um, but I'll st- stick with my pick. Give me uh, Staropoli by decision, but again, it seems like my theme for this card. I have no confidence in this pick. Next up, it is a strawweight matchup between Tabitha, Baby Shark, Ricci, and Maria Oliveira. Ricci, the 26-year-old Brazilian, is 5-1 overall. She's 0-1 since joining the UFC out of LFA. Uh, she took on Manon Fioro in her uh, debut back in June, got knocked out in the second round. You know, uh, given how Fioro has has looked you know, perhaps a, a forgivable or understandable loss, but nonetheless, uh, she is still looking for her first win in the octagon. She is welcoming Oliveira, the 24-year-old Brazilian, is uh, 12 and four. She appeared on uh, Dana White's Contender Series Brazil uh, season one, so that would be back in 2018. Got knocked out by Marina Rodriguez, which, yeah, again, given how Rodriguez has looked ever since, you know. Perhaps, uh, you know, not the worst loss in the world. Prior to that, she had been in Ryzen Fighting Federation, where she made it as far as the semifinals of the uh, Super Atomweight Grand Prix. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar, Super Atomweight is 108 pounds. So it is a case of two uh, women approaching this fight from opposite directions, as Ricci fought at Flyweight most recently, Oliveira, at least formerly uh, an Atomweight Plus. Uh, Ricci is a comfortable favorite here. She's minus 230. Uh, Oliveira plus 190 as the underdog. Keith, uh, who do you like in this one? So, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm laughing because I, I'm looking for the fight where I have confidence. I'm looking for the fight where I feel like I have a gr- firm grasp. Like, Richie is, is so, um, she's such an unknown because, you know, you look at her record, you know, on the Fight Finder, and she faced really low-level competition before she reached the UFC. Then she reaches the UFC on, I think it was like one week's notice, day's notice, something, you know, extremely short notice, moved up a weight class in her UFC debut against an absolute killer in Manon Farrell. So, like, I'm not going to take anything from that. She wasn't even in her own right weight class against someone that we think is special. In, in Faro, we were just going crazy about a week ago. Uh, what I like about Richie is, is she's only 26 years old. From what I've seen, she isn't a big strawweight. Who, who on top of that, moved up to flyweight. Uh, she's only five foot one. Uh, she switches stances a lot. Ton uh, her striking. She has very tons of shoulder rolls to her striking. So she's setting up. And the one thing nice about shoulder rolls is, is you, when someone hits you, you kind of like, they glance off you a little bit because you're rolling your shoulders. Uh, she tends to fight in blitzes, pretty fast hands for someone who's known for her grappling. Unfortunately, she throws a lot of single strikes instead of uh, instead of throwing comp- combinations. And usually, when someone's throwing single strikes combinations, that's just a lack of confidence in your hands, which you you expect for someone who you know comes more from a grappling background. Um, she does have a good overhand right, though she looks for it way too much, which goes back to what I was saying about single strikes. What I love about her, and this is the only thing I took from the Faro fight, she has tons of heart. I mean, she was taking a beat for Faro, and 
she, you know, she eventually got TKO'd, but she wasn't looking for a way out. She had every excuse to find a way out. She had every excuse to like just curl up early in the fight and, and, and get out of there. No, she kept trying. Uh, she, you know, she was kept, you know, unsuccessfully throwing her overhand right. Uh, she's a solid grappler from what I've seen. Judo black belt l- likes takedowns from the clinch. Uh, and when she's shooting entries, this is the judo in her, tends to shoot too far outside without many setups. But if it hits the ground, she's a submission threat. She just has two submissions wins in her short career. Move over to Oliver. She's she's only 24, so I love that. But everything I said about Richie, I kind of said about Oliver. She's also feasted off low-level competition. When she's faced better fighters, she's lost. I mean, Marina Rodriguez, it's Marina Rodriguez. Like, okay, give her a pass. Um, kind of Asakura, smashed her in Ryzen. Again, I'm going to give a little pass. Not not No, that's not Marina Rodriguez, but a little bit of pass. Uh, and she obviously was younger, but what, 21, 22 years old at that time. Uh, she's a long and lengthy Muay Thai specialist, lots of hard leg kicks. Uh, she does throw, throw them naked, though. She likes to step in with elbows, which I absolutely love. One, because it's just vicious. Two, it's just something that opponents aren't really expecting. Uh, her boxing is very basic, though. She tends to back up on the center line, doesn't like pressure. It can be backed up to the cage due to it. Um, but when she's backed up, she'll look to to clinch and and use her plum clinch, which uses her height advantage. She she's not just a striker though; she'll drop down on a takedown. Uh, though on top, she will stall out. She isn't much of a submission threat. She only has one submission win in in twelve career victories. So as far as prediction goes, who knows who wins this one? Uh, they're both very low level UFC talent, or or I shouldn't say this. This th- like this. You like to say this has a contender series feel to it. Like this is a contender series fight. Like these are the girls should be fighting to try to get in. Um, I think they're both green, especially Richie, and probably isn't ready for the UFC. I'm talking about both of them, um, but I'm gonna take Richie though. Uh, I like her spirit. <laughs> if, if that's uh, and then you know adding the judo background and the likelihood that there will be some clinch work with. Um, Oliver like welcoming the clinch I can see her getting some takedowns I'm going to give her uh, a submission will, Win too Just for the hell of it <laughs> like, Just because I keep picking a lot of decisions So give me Richie I'll take her by second round submission With uh, less than zero Confidence Yeah I, I'm w- with you here Both of these women are Fairly green Richie extremely green uh, And despite the fact that Richie, you know, fought her last fight at flyweight, and Oliveira had been uh, a super atomweight. Oliveira is going to be the taller woman with the longer reach. Uh, I do like, uh, I, I mean, I like her striking, but it, it, if there's anything we learned from the first, uh, say, 12 or 15 UFC events, it's that if you have two fighters that are probably a little inexperienced and undertrained, and one is a grappler by preference and one's a striker. When in doubt, go with the grappler. Yeah. Uh, I'm and I'm I'm definitely going with uh, Ricci here. Now, you mentioned her tendency to to shoot from too far outside, you know, often without appropriate setup. Certainly uh somebody who throws as many uh kicks up the middle and is a uh you know a Muay Thai striker like Oliveira could catch her on the way in and just turn this into Masvidal Askren. But I'm not picking that. Like she's a two to one underdog for a reason. Uh, I expect Richie to, you know, try her luck on the feet. Uh, if she doesn't like what she's getting, 
Oliver isn't really a one punch knockout artist, so she can probably learn her lesson w without uh, compromising herself too badly. When she wants this to go to the ground, she's going to be able to get it there. And I think she's going to have pretty easy sledding at that point. Uh, you say uh, second round submission, just to keep it a little different. I'm going to say first round submission. Uh, Tabitha Ricci gets back on track and we'll get to see what these two women can do in the strawweight division going forward. Second from the top of the eight fight prelim card at UFC Vegas 41 is a lightweight contest between Mason Jones and the debuting David Onama. Jones, the 26-year-old Welshman, former two-division Cage Warriors champ, that would be lightweight and welterweight, is 0-1 with one no contest since joining the UFC uh, earlier this year. He lost his debut to Mike Davis at UFC on ESPN Chiesa versus Magny back in January, then uh, came back to fight Alan Patrick at UFC Fight Night Rosenstrike versus Sakai in June, uh, appeared to be well on the way to winning a really fun fight when he took an accidental eye poke uh, in the second round, rendered him unable to continue. So that goes down as a no contest. They were going to run the fight back. Uh, Alan Patrick had to withdraw at the last moment, uh, I believe due to COVID protocol, not injury, but I don't remember for sure. Uh, in steps David Onama, a uh, product of Glory MMA and Fitness. And as a side note, if I were to name the biggest winners in MMA of the kind of the post-COVID era, other than individual fighters, it would be Brave CF, uh, the two or three biggest Las Vegas gyms, like you know Syndicate and Extreme Couture, and glory MMA and fitness. They are peaking at the right time, just as James Krause has put a fantastic crew of fighters together, really gotten into the swing of things, and always seem to be able to come up with short notice step-ins that are so necessary these days, including Krause himself. I'm surprised Krause didn't try to jump in and get this fight. Uh, <laughs> but uh, re regardless, uh, Onama uh, is a little piece of history as the first Ugandan-born fighter to fight in the UFC. So 27-year-old Ugandan by way of Kansas City, is a perfect eight and zero, uh, and a perfect eight finishes out of eight fights. Uh, fought most recently, uh, just a couple weeks ago, uh, knocking out Brad Robeson at uh, FAC ten. Uh, FAC is a local Missouri promotion, and in fact, I believe all eight of Onama's fights have taken place in Missouri. Like he really had just been making his name on the local scene. Uh, perhaps reflecting the difference in credentials between Jones and Onama or some lingering faith in Jones just from his stellar run in Cage Warriors. He is, I think, the biggest favorite on the card. He opened at like minus 600. He's down to minus 450 uh, as still a prohibitive favorite. Uh, if you like Onama, if you know something that uh, the, the squares don't, he is plus 385 on, on several sites. Keith, uh, as I was reading off the odds, I saw you kind of shaking your head there a little bit. Uh, tell me what's good, man. How do you see this fight uh, playing out? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I definitely understand why Mason Jones is the favorite. I just don't think he should be that massive. Like, negative 600 is insane. I mean, that should be Valentina Shevchenko level, you know. <laughs> um, and Onama's pretty good. I mean, yeah, he's very, he's, yeah, I'll start with him. He's, he's raw in the sense, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's, well, I mean, you mentioned he's a glory MMA guy, which is I double down on everything you said. Like I'm, we're both big fans of glory MMA. I'm big fans of James Krause. James Krause is like the exception to the rule to me when it comes to fighters who coach. Like I think it kind of, uh, yeah, he's the outlier. Like generally speaking, 
if someone opens their own gym or something, I, like I kind of dock them points. Like I think I heard someone saying uh, Alex Caceres might have opened his gym and this and that. Like that makes me less likely to take pick you. Like James Krause is the exception. Um, yep. But this guy's eight and zero. He was ten and zero as an amateur, so he's never lost in his career. Uh, he's moving up a, a, a weight, so I, you don't like that. I like that he's the first Ugandan fighter in UFC history. They said. Um, on the feet, he fights out of both positions. He's very aggressive. A lot of variety in his strikes, punches, kicks, elbows, knees up the middle. Um, some negatives, he drops his hands a little bit. He can get a little wild, um, throw, uh, you know, chasing a knockout. Uh, and we've seen him get a lot of knockouts. Um, he also will throw naked leg kicks. I like, though, that he's not just one-dimensional. He'll throw in a takedown. Um, though he's reaching... Um, I said that who I, I said this about somebody else on this card. I can't remember, but um, set of shoots more reaches for the takedowns. But he is he is a submission threat. He uses his length well. Three submission wins. His cardio is questionable because he hasn't gone to a decision. Uh, but he's a good addition. Again, I think I would have liked him more on the contender series like that than and going against someone like Mason Jones, who I like. Sure, Mason Jones doesn't have a win in the UFC, but he's 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 definitely a good prospect. Mason Jones, very aggressive on the feet. He's a pressure counter-striker, high output, um, good boxing, tight boxing. He works behind a power jab, so he kind of tries to hurt you with his jab. Uh, uh, then he tries to slip your counter, land his power shots behind it. Does well to bob and weave back and forth, keeping his head off the center line. Throws combinations. He does hit hard. Um, he likes to just throw down in the pocket, um, willing to eat one, to land one. Uh, and he's a good wrestler, good entries, solid ground and pound. Uh, if he's taken down, he does well to work back to his feet. Uh, though he does have submissions on the ground, he's got two submissions on his record. So as far as prediction goes, I think it's a really good matchup between two good fighters. Uh, I'm going to go with Jones. I mean, I think I kind of gave that away in the beginning when I said I understand why he's the favorite. Um, he's he's just a physically bigger guy. I mean, he's a, he's a former welterweight who's fighting at lightweight going against a feather – featherweight so he's going to have a size advantage uh, he also has the wrestling advantage in the back pocket so give me jones by decision but like if if you know when i would knocks him out in the first round uh, i i would be surprised but i'd still be like well there was definitely an avenue for victory for that and and i think onam is gonna like he's gonna be a good addition to the ufc roster like i know some people really high on him think he's really special thinking he, he's the best guy coming out of glory MMA. i'm not ready to put that on him yet but on the flip side, the physical tools are there. So, especially at featherweight. So, um, really tough fight in UFC debut. But I think he's going to be a good addition. Yeah, I I feel the way you do about Onama, and I mean it, it's worth mentioning that he's fought back and forth at uh, featherweight and lightweight. Like his fight on October eighth, like two weeks ago, was actually at lightweight. He put the dude away in like two minutes and really barely got touched. But you do wonder how that quick a turnaround, like kind of peeking out of a camp and then fighting again a couple weeks later will go. Uh, he's a tall guy, but he's, you know, like a, a tall guy for either division. I think he's like 5'11", but not real broad. But he might be a guy who is just going to end up filling out and will become a, a lightweight in the, in the long term anyway. But I agree that Jones will be the bigger and stronger guy in the cage this Saturday. My concern here is that at the UFC level, it seems like Mason Jones is going to be in really exciting fights every time. And I'm not saying that as an unvarnished compliment. Like, uh, he's, he's 
let in a little too much of his opponent's offense in these fights so far, including when he was the better fighter. Like, you know, he was on his way to beating uh, Alan Patrick, but he'd also taken some punishment in that fight. I'm kind of discarding his uh, his UFC debut as an aberration. Like, Mike Davis beat the crap out of Jones. And jo- Jones, unfortunately, he's got that, like, Welsh and some English and Scottish fighters as well. He's got that complexion, like two jabs and all of a sudden he looks like he was in a car wreck like he's just all red and like bleeding a little bit and you know look, looks like he's been five rounds uh I, I think he's always going to make his fights a little more interesting than they need to be and that might put a cap on his like top level contendership uh but it's it's going to be enough to beat uh, onama this time i you know he's a relentless uh fighter i i think and he's so far beyond the guys that Onama's been beating. Like, not only has Onama fought all of his fights in, you know, local Missouri promotions, they've not been against the top of, of the top opposition, even by, you know, Midwest regional standards. This is a huge step up for him. So while he could land something and shock the world, I think the best realistic outcome for Onama here is kind of the uh, Lando Venata versus Tony Ferguson thing. Because Tony Ferguson even in his prime had a lot of the same thing as Jones where people, people could hit Ferguson and get him in trouble. Just, he was so relentless and so durable that he'd hit them more and then they'd fall down and die, you know, and think of how long Venata kind of skated along on just having had Tony Ferguson in trouble for a minute. I I think that's what we're likely to get here. Onama will have his moments early on. Jones will buckle down and this thing will be over. Uh, Give me Jones by second round submission. Man, side note, where the heck is Mike Davis? He seems like he never fights, and he's good. He is good. You know, he, he is good, but I really strongly thought Jones was going to, like, beat him and make a fantastic debut, and instead, you know, Davis just won all three rounds. I think there was a 10-8 in there, just walked uh, him. Yeah, I'm much higher in Davis than you are, but, yeah, he just doesn't fight enough to keep keep you excited about him. The featured prelim at UFC Fight Night 196 is a middleweight matchup between Junyong Park and Gregory Rodriguez. Yet another matchup of two guys with really fantastic nicknames. Park, the 30-year-old South Korean who goes by the Iron Turtle, which I'm guessing that sounds even cooler in Korean, but it's pretty cool even in English, is 13-4 and overall. He is 3-1 and since joining the UFC. And unlike a couple of guys we've talked about further down the card, he lost his first fight and has bounced back and been fantastic ever since. Uh, signed to the UFC in summer of 2019, got choked out by Anthony Hernandez in his debut. Since then, he has won decisions over Mark andre Barrio, John Phillips, and most recently, uh, this May, Tafan Nchukwi, whom he beat at UFC on ESPN, Rodriguez versus Watterson. Uh, he'll be taking on Rodriguez, the 29-year-old Brazilian who goes by the nickname RoboCop. And just so you know, every gym in Brazil, whoever has the biggest pecs in the gym gets nicknamed RoboCop. It is just a Brazilian fighter thing. Uh, he is 10-3 and three overall. And if you were looking at his fight finder photo below our faces right now, it looks like someone just photoshopped Barack Obama's head onto the body of a really jacked guy. He doesn't really look like that in real life. It's really strange. At any rate. Uh, he is 1-0 and in the UFC uh, since joining earlier this year. He actually competed on Dana White's Contender Series back last September, lost to Jordan Williams by first-round knockout, so went back to LFA, won two straight over Al Madavau and uh, Josh Fremd, who's actually a very good prospect himself. That got him the invite uh, to the big show. He debuted against Dusko Todorovic back in June, won a unanimous decision. 
This one is a pick'em. Both men out there at minus one ten. Uh, Keith, do you feel like this is a dead even fight? Who have you got, and how? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a dead even card. I think, uh, which is again why I'm excited about this card. Uh, yeah, this is this is intriguing because. Uh, you know, Rodriguez has all the physical tools, but Park is one of these. He's just like an overachiever; just keeps finding ways to win. Uh, Park is a, a good, he's a good boxer. He's he's a counter striker. He throws tight combinations, uh, likes to throw down in close, uh, in the pocket. But from range, he he does good at picking up his opponent's timing and beating them to the the point of contact. Uh, he does throw lead uppercuts, which um, obviously is dangerous if. It's a good way to get knocked out, but also it's a good way to get a knockout. Uh, he mixes in some low kicks. Uh, wrestling used to be a weakness of his. Now it's like one of his strengths. He's pretty good at timing his opponents and getting them down. I mean, we saw this against Tafan Chukwe, and that was a big difference in the fight. He's a pretty good grappler, strong ground and pound from on top, and just smart. Like He finds ways to win rounds. Now, move over to Rodriguez. Rodriguez is very big for the weight class. As you mentioned, like you were talking about his pecs and how ripped up he is. He's just a very physically opposing guy. Now, he's a Muay Thai style fighter, uh, aggressive on the feet, can get a little wild, um, hits very hard, uh, but has been hurt himself. I mean, you go back to on the contender series when he was knocked out. Uh, I like, though, that even though he's a big power puncher and cracker, uh, he's also can go to the ground, takedowns from the clinch, the entry takedowns. Uh, good at taking his opponents back off the clinch, like he liked his little like slide bys and, and and arm drags in there, body lock takedowns, good trips, judo throws, good entries. Um, little he likes to do like duck his head and do like snatch singles, very Daniel Cormier style. Um, and he just grab a leg and just lift you up because uh, he's so freaking strong, strong, mean ground and pound on top. He's a legitimate submission threat. Uh, he will lose position to get a submission. Uh, which I don't like. And the other thing I don't like about him is he throws so much power that he tends to to fade late. So as the prediction goes, this is a bagging fight. Like there's a reason why this is a pick'em. Um I think Park has finally started getting people's respects and especially the odds makers. Park has beaten guys that are a lot more physically gifted than him. I mean like Tafan Chukwe's his last fight is a perfect example. But I like how well rounded Rodriguez is. So I think he has an advantage in athleticism with also um, some technical skills behind it. Um, I'm going to go with Rodriguez by decision. But if Park just finds ways to get Rodriguez on his back, take him down, and, and I'll wrestle him to a decision, like, I wouldn't surprise at all. But uh, I'm going to go with the speed, power advantage, and all, and, and all that to give me Rodriguez. I... I find that this uh, fight interesting and difficult to pick for all the reasons you mentioned. And I especially the the way that Rodriguez just through his combination of muscle mass, throwing everything really hard, just kind of his pace is in danger of uh, gassing himself out. And against a guy in park who the Iron Turtle is the perfect nickname for the guy because he's durable and deliberate and just beats you like the turtle beat the rabbit. Like, I want to pick Rodriguez, and if this thing makes it to the end of the first round, like, and both guys are still standing, I'm like, oh, man, th- this could get bad for Rodriguez. I'm also picking Rodriguez by decision. Just 
maybe he wins the first two rounds and, and uh, loses the third. But the other dynamic is it goes the other way. He wins the first round and loses the second and third. As Park gets more comfortable, the gr wrestling grind starts to work for him and Rodriguez gets more and more tired. Uh, I am going to go with Rodriguez, but yeah, this one is a, a razor close fight and a good one to close out the prelims. The six-fight main card of UFC Vegas 41 starts with what was originally scheduled as the heaviest fight on the card, but now is tied for heaviest thanks to Paulo Costa. It is Nikolai Negamarianu versus Ike Villanueva. Negamarianu, the 27-year-old uh, Romanian, is 10-1 overall. He is 1-1 since joining the UFC, uh, having dropped a uh, decision to Saperbek Safarov in his debut back in March of 2019 then come back uh, two years later at uh, UFC on ESPN, Korean Zombie versus Ige this June, and won a uh, split decision over Alexa Kamer. Both of those fights strongly influenced by fence grabs. Uh, you could argue that the Safarov fight, you know, maybe should have been a draw if Safarov had been uh, properly, uh, anyway. And then uh, against Kamer, it was uh, Nega Mariano who was grabbing the crap out of the fence. Either way, that shouldn't come into play this time. As he takes on Ike Villanueva, uh, the 37-year-old Houston native who goes by Hurricane Ike is 18-12 and 12 overall. He's 1-3 since joining the UFC as uh, one of the first uh, regional fighters to step up as a short-notice COVID replacement and just flat-out moved uh, from Houston to Vegas for a few months in order to be there and be available. He has lost to Chase Sherman and Jordan Wright in his first two uh, UFC fights, came back with a blistering knockout of Vinicius Moreira at UFC on ESPN Chiesa versus Magni in January, then uh, was finished by a body kick by Martin Pracnio at uh, UFC Fight Night Gone versus Volkov in June. Negamarianu, strong favorite here. He's minus 220. Villanueva available around plus 180 on the comeback. Keith, break my heart, man. Tell me how the guy from Houston's going to lose. Well, if you remember, I picked Ike Villanueva uh, last time. I don't have my cowboy hat with me, so that should tell you who I'm taking in this one. Um, so, Negum, help me out with his last name. Negum Mariano was yep. was out for two years between uh, his first fight and his second fight, and I said like, yeah, he's at that age where he couldn't make some improvements. His first fight in the UC was really bad showing, but he, he, you know, two years, he's at the age, he can make the improvements. <laughs> then I think he did. Like he, he looked like a much better fighter in his second fight um, on the feet. He's still a little wild. Does a lot of looping hooks. Uh, he lacks powers because he lacks technique and more uh, arm punches. Um, he makes a mistake of, of avoiding pressure by backing straight up. Uh, go back to his fight with Safarov. He was hurt and he was out grappled to Safarov, which isn't good. Uh, and, and you did mention the fence grabs, but then he outgrasped Alexa uh, Kamar in his last fight, which is a really good sign. Um, he kept getting taken down by Safarov, but you know did well to work his way back up. Uh, and he has three submission wins on his record. I just like to see a guy who's young and making improvements and build probably building confidence too. I'm sure you know losing UFC debut you know kills your confidence. Then you take on a better fighter than Safarov and gets the win. Um, Ike Villanueva, uh, I'm 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 stalling right now because I'm trying to find the notes. I think <laughs> I was so disappointed in his last one. I threw the notes out somewhere. Um, so he's he's 37. Like he's the complete opposite. Like I don't think Ike Villanueva is suddenly going to improve. He's unathletic. 
he's he's a striker who he does to his credit throws a lot of combinations. You know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of Paul Bonatello. Like I don't know why. Like they're I guess it's just the heavy boxing style to both of them. Um that somebody's just like an opposing heavyweight. I know he's a light heavyweight in this one, but like an opposing heavyweight and um that's the you know, heavy boxing. I just, I don't know why I always think of Paul Bonatello. But throws combination, uh he tends to fight in blitzes. His left hook is kind of his power punch. He does have power, kind of like a Paul Bonatello. You can't disrespect him. He's got 14 knockouts on his record. Um, recently got a knockout in the UFC. Uh, not UFC. Yeah, yeah, he recently got a knockout, didn't he? Yeah, okay. Yeah, he he knocked the crap out of uh, uh, Vinicius Moreira. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, he does have some huge defensive holes, though. He lacks head movement. He backs straight up. He had no answer for leg kicks in the Chase Sherman fight. Chin is a major issue. He's been knocked six or seven times out, including like three or four times recently. He's also a bad. Uh, I know you. I think he's a. I know I've dogs his grappling a bit. I think you've said his grappling's better than I give it credit to. And, and I'll take your. Um, I, I'll weigh your opinion a lot more than mine because what I've you've seen a lot more of him than I have. Um, I don't see much of a wrestler in him, but you, I know you have said it's better than that. Um, but I don't like that he doesn't have a submission win his entire career. Like that, that doesn't build a lot of confidence. So as far as prediction goes, I'm just gonna go with the younger fighter. Just simply as that. Like Negramano is a guy who's improving. Uh, I'm gonna say he gets a stoppage too. Um, I don't trust the chin anymore of Villanueva. So give me uh, Negram Mariano. I'll say he gets it done in the second round by TKO. Yeah, I mean. You you're dead on with your your assessment of Villanueva at this point. Uh, you know, Buentello, that's that's a, a good comparison. You know, and Buentello's from Amarillo, so you know, I'll, I'll claim him. Also reminds I, I me a little bit. Not a connection. I yeah. knew it. I knew. I almost or, said, isn't he from Texas too? All right. Or or you know, even like an end stage like Rampage Jackson, like after he lost to Jones, you know, and just kind of became nothing but kind of a plodding boxer. You know, kind of that that type. Uh, you know, always been, you know, pretty flat footed, slow of foot. His hands are, are deceivingly fast, although, I, you know, they're not super fast hands by UFC light heavyweight level. Uh, and that was the case when he was 30. Certainly those things have not improved by 37. Uh, I do worry about his chin at, at this point. Uh, he was as rugged as they come. You look at his record. He's 18 and 12 and he's been knocked out a few times, but he's fought back and forth between light heavyweight and heavyweight that whole time. So some of those like TKO losses were like 240 pound guys. He probably shouldn't have been fighting, but at this point, yeah, 37 years old, been through a lot of wars. Uh, he is a boxer, uh, throws in combination, bit of a head hunty boxer. And, uh, you know, Nega Mariano is going to be younger, faster, stronger, better on the ground. Uh, you know, like Villanueva's best chance is, catching him with uh, something sassy on the feet in the first round. That's really his only plausible avenue to victory. So while I look at this fight with as realistic an eye as I can, obviously I'm taking Ike Villanueva by first round knockout. Next up on the UFC Fight Night 196 main card, it is a welterweight matchup between Francisco Trinaldo and Dwight Grant. Trinaldo, the 43-year-old Brazilian, is 26-8 and overall. He is 16 and seven uh, after joining the UFC out of uh, Tough Brazil. One, with all due respect to uh, you know Cesar Ferreira and uh, Sergio Moraes, he's definitely the success story of that inaugural season of Tough Brazil. 
Uh, he did lose his last fight, a unanimous decision to uh, Muslim Salikov. That snapped a three-fight win streak over Bobby Green, John McDessie, and Jai Herbert. Uh, it also marked his move up to welterweight for what appears to be for good at this point in his career. He's taking on Grant. The man who go by, goes by the body snatcher is 37 years old. He's 11-3 and three overall. He is 3-2 and two since joining the UFC out of Season 2 of Dana White's Contender Series. Fought most recently at UFC 261 back in April, where he took a split decision over Stefan Zakulic. Uh, that got him back on track after a first-round knockout loss to Daniel Rodriguez. Uh, odds on this one slightly favored Trinaldo. He's minus 125 or so. You can get Grant uh, better than even money, uh, plus 105, plus 108 out there. Uh, man, Trinaldo... Just after, you know, I talked about Ike Villanueva, you know, where he wasn't a blinding fast twitch athlete even in his prime, and that certainly hasn't gotten better uh, in in his late 30s. Trinaldo, it sneaks up on you because the guy looked 45 years old when he got to the UFC. He just has one of those really weathered faces, but then, like, phys- like his body's just always been completely jacked. And because of that, I think it's been tough to track his physical decline because he also he wasn't a spectacular fast twitch athlete either in his prime like he was enormously strong obviously but uh always more of a grinder and what's changed as he's gone from his mid-30s to now almost his mid-40s is uh his output has really dropped off um on the feeds he's you know gotten uh much more measured on the ground as well little less willing to go to the ground period uh and it's just i think his way of guarding his gas tank as it as it starts to to fail him you know one thing about trinaldo is he's been in some of the worst fights in ufc history in the last couple of years uh you know his fight with alexander hernandez was a crime against humanity yeah he got robbed in that but really the real victim was all of us uh and while he was a strong, physically imposing lightweight. I mean, he was never tall for the division. He was just really, really muscular. Uh, At welterweight, he's not even, like, he's short for welterweight, and he's not overpoweringly strong for welterweight. It's almost a a poor man's version of what happened when Rafael Dos Anjos moved up. Like, the, the stuff that made his game go just didn't really work at welterweight. I think it's gonna be even more the case uh, of that for Trinaldo going forward. And he's taking on a guy in Grant that Grant is super inconsistent and capable of losing to anyone at any given time. But things that you can't deny about him, he's a good size welterweight. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to be willing to fight at a higher pace than Trinaldo. And he's prone to being caught by his opponents, but Trinaldo's not a guy who's prone to catching people with something that yields an instant finish. I'm a little surprised at at the line here because I'm definitely leaning Grant. Uh, Give me Grant to win a frustrating fight where neither guy throws enough volume. Uh, You know, probably your, your anti fight of the night here, but give me Grant to win at least two rounds out of three and take the decision here. Yeah, so, yeah, this is a really weird fight, really weird matchmaking. I think you broke it down really well. Um, so, Trinaldo, he's very unorthodox, um, very weird style. He he fights on an offbeat. He he throws from different angles, um, not necessarily from his hips, just a very Chuck Liddell kind of style where he comes from different angles. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, but not like not wild though. It's it's like Chuck Liddell, Chuck Liddell was never wild. He's it, it's it's uh just unorthodox. It was like why Philip Rivers throws the football weird, you know, just their thing. Um Southpaw, he I agree with you say he's a very physically strong guy. Um, but again, you mentioned it, he loses that advantage moving up to welterweight. And you said like he's just not a big guy, wasn't a you know, sh- you know, sh- he's a shorter guy. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree. I think he has good power, like in his hands. I mean, um, but yeah, he's not a one hitter quitter type guy, especially not moving up to welterweight. Um, his left hand is accurate. Um, I mean, we we saw him knock out Jai Herbert with it, um, but he can to overextend. He can lose technique with it. Um, oh, defensively, high guard. Um, he throws some hard body kicks. His chin might be fading though. Like go back to the Jai Herbert. Herbert dropped him once. Um, he was too slow for Salikov. Uh, one thing about Trinado though is he's he's an underrated grappler. Like, if you get in close to them, good trips, good tap pressure, uh, strong ground and pound from on top. Does have five submission wins, um, but I was surprised that like Herbert took him down and, and took his back. Um, and yeah, I kind of cheated a little bit when I was doing tape study. I, I watched Ronaldo and Herbert again, so I can get two fighters for one. So <laughs> the, the why I keep talking about the giant Herbert fight. Um, so what is it? And you said something. You talked about the output of Ronaldo. I agree. Like he's he's Andre Lowski a little bit. He's learned to. He's he's never been a high output guy, but he's learned a way to slow it down to conserve his chin, to conserve his energy. Um, it's just a veteran. Somehow he gets it, and guys fight him at that pace. Now move over to Dwight Grant. Really, really long arms. Kind of unorthodox, too, but he's more of a guy who throws from his hips. Um, so he gets a little more wild. He's pretty fast. He hits very hard, but he swings wild. Um, I-, I talked about Trinaldo reaching. Like, this guy lunges. He overreaches. Always out of position. Um, kind of leaving himself for counters. Uh, he loves his check left hook, which is good with his long range and from throwing from his hips actually works in the check left hook. It's, and you kind of get disguised, uh, hard body kicks. Uh, he makes the mistake though, of loading up on every single strike. He keeps his chin high in the air. He's not much of a wrestler. Uh, if he is on top, decent top control, but he's a weak defense wrestler. Uh, I go back to the Alan Joban fight, who really isn't known for his wrestling, and Alan Joban took him down several times. And we talked about the output of Trinaldo. Like, don't forget the output of Dwight Grant in the Alan Joban fight. Like, that was – it was not good. Uh, this is a tough one. Uh, Dwight has the size advantage. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if both guys are really good and We and, and I think you said it right. This is the fight that – yeah, we could have some spectacular knockout. Um Especially if the power that Trinaldo has shown in the past ha- carries with him at welterweight, which I, I agree with you. I don't know if it will. Um, I'm going to go with Trinaldo just because he's always been technically sound in a sense where he throws um, – like he's, he's – t- I don't know. I don't know. I just want to take Trinaldo. Uh, I think he might have the better output of these two fighters. And uh, I don't think he'll knock out Grant or anything like that. I think we're going to have a really ugly decision where it's an ugly fight and Trinaldo, uh gets his hand raised and and Dwight Grant is doing his best Sam Alvey yelling at the referees that he got screwed. So give me <laughs> Trinaldo 
Uh, is he the underdog? I mean, he's the underdog. No, you said he's the favorite, right? Uh, Trinaldo's the slight favorite. It's like minus 125 plus 105, something like that. Yeah, the reason why I'm always asking is because I, I don't look, I purposely don't look at the lines until after I've already made my mind up because I don't want the lines to influence me. And I kind of forget who's the favorite, even though you just said it. Like, not only, one, not only did you say it in the intro, <laughs> but then you said it in your <laughs> breakdown. And then I still forgot. But uh, <laughs> yeah, give me Trinaldo in a really ugly decision. Well, we both agree that this is going to be the opposite of fight of the night. Next up is a featherweight matchup between Alex Caceres and Sung Woo Choi. Caceres, the 33-year-old Floridian, is 18 and 12 with one no contest overall. He is 13 and 10 since joining the UFC out of the 12th season of The Ultimate Fighter. And all apologies and all due respect to Michael Johnson. He is definitely the success story of uh, that season of Tough at this point. Uh, he's taking on Choi, the 28-year-old South Korean is 10 and 3 overall. He's 3 and 2 since joining the UFC back in 2019 and uh he is another one who he lost his first couple and is now on a three fight win streak. Those three wins coming over Suman Mokhtarian, Yusef Zalal and most recently Julian Arosa uh whom he knocked out in about 90 seconds at UFC on ESPN uh Korean Zombie versus Ige. Choi is uh one of the stronger favorites on the card. He is minus 280. Caceres available at plus 240 as the substantial underdog. Uh, Keith, who do you like in this one? And uh, how did they get it done? Yeah, so um, Caceres, tons of experience. I think this is his 25th UFC fight. He's, he's a southpaw. He's, I mean, I haven't really updated my notes in Caceres a while. Like, I know he's on this four-fight winning streak, but I don't see an improved fighter. Uh, he's elusive. He's always been elusive. He's got a good vision. Nice jab. Lots of kicks, very funky style grappler where he's he's not a great grappler, but then he wins a lot of scrambles. Uh, the one thing I don't like about him is the funk game where they'll give up your back. He gives up back and scrambles, uh, but he has a submission threat. He's got six subs, uh, but he has poor fight IQ. I've said this in the past. He tends to strike with people who are better strikers. He tends to grapple with people who are better grapplers. He tends to give his opponent the fight they want. Um, Choi, on the other hand, He's looked tremendous in his last few fights. I mean, yeah, the the Suman Mctarian, Suman Mctarian, he's he's not that good. But Yusuf Zalal is a pretty decent prospect, and Julian Rosa, like, yeah, he's like a 500 fighter in the UFC, but it just is always like a tough out. Uh, he looked really good. He's a Muay Thai specialist, long and lengthy. He could fight from inside distance or out in the pocket. Uh, I'm sorry, outside of distance or inside the pocket. He's a stalking counter striker. I think his hands are fast. I think they're accurate. He stays tight. Everything coming down the pipe, he will suddenly like just swarm you with strikes. Or stay, like he'll stay on the outside and just fight in the burst, and, and it's a big combination. Throws lots of click, uh, kicks. He's good in the clinch. Um, I like his. He kind of like a mean streak of him. Works elbows, works knees. Uh, I haven't seen too much of his wrestling. He's more of a defensive wrestler, sprawl and brawl type. Uh, but if he's on top, good top control, brutal ground and pound. So as far as prediction goes, I'm taking Choi. Uh, I'm just not believing this Caceres, like, renaissance run. He's being four really lower-level UFC fighters. And just one of these, like, we've said he's one of these yell-at-the-television type guys. Like, I gave up on Caceres a while ago. So, the, like, to get back in my good graces. Uh, and obviously he has not done anything wrong to me. It just, you know, uh, I, I think he should be further along in his career than he is. So I'm just not believing him. 
I think Choi is the more dynamic strike. I think he's has a speed advantage, power advantage. Give me Choi. Give me by. Uh, I almost take a stoppage, but Caceres obviously is a tough out to get a guy out. So I'll say Choi by decision, but like a lopsided dominant decision. Yeah, I mean Caceres, and I should have mentioned this uh, off the top. He's on a four fight win streak of his own, so it's a you know four fight win streak against a three fight win streak, but certainly you can poke at the the quality of Caceres's opponents and the way in which he won those fights after the first couple, like after the, the Peterson and Hooper wins and even the Austin Springer win, although that was over really quickly. Uh, I was ready to take him off the screen at the TV uh, team. Like, you know, they weren't the best fighters, but you mentioned his tendency to he's good everywhere, but willing to fight the fight that his opponent wants and to his opponent's best advantage. Uh, but you know, I, I thought in the Peterson and Hooper fights, you know, he seemed to be getting over that. And then the Kevin Kroon fight was just like a vintage Caceres outing in the worst way. Uh, so, you know, I'm I'm back to not really believing in him. And if you're going to fight Sung Wu Choi on his terms, you're like, he's going to he's going to chew you up. Like he's a sharper striker than, than Caceres. He hits harder, much bigger reach. Uh, he's a much more disciplined fighter. You know, like I know the the uh, stereotype is that the South Korean fighters are just maniacs. But, you know, he, he's he's a measured fighter who knows what he wants to get done in the cage. And that's going to be poison for Alex Katerius, even if he wasn't just a better fighter on, on pure skill. So, I, yeah, I'm with you. This is actually one of my higher confidence picks on the card, even over some of the guys that are much bigger favorites on paper. Like, yes. I, I would be much more surprised by Alex Katerius fighting a smart fight against Sung Woo Choi and winning a unanimous decision than like David Onama just coming out and starching uh, Mason Jones or something. I, I, you know, I feel the same exact way. Yeah. So like, I, I don't, you know, I don't typically do a lock of the night type thing. Certainly don't bet on anything on my advice, but <laughs> I would be very, very surprised if Alex Caceres won this. And I say that as a guy who enjoys Alex Caceres, you know, like his personality and a lot of his fights, but th- this is not the matchup for him. Third from the top of the UFC Vegas 41 main card is a Bantamweight matchup. It is Australia versus Panama. It is Jessica Rose Clark versus Jocelyn Edwards. Uh, Clark, the 33-year-old Australian who goes by Jesse Jess, is 10-6 and six with one no contest overall. She's 3-2 and two in the UFC. Fought most recently last September where she... Uh, beat up Sarah Alpar to the point of almost certainly ruining her wedding photo shoot. Uh, that puts an end on the first losing streak of her UFC run, where she had lost back-to-back fights to Jessica I and Pani Kienzad. Uh, worth, actually, was the Alpar fight at flyweight or bantamweight? I can't remember. Uh, at any rate, I think Clark, it's at Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Uh, she's taking on Edwards. The 26-year-old Panamanian is 10 and 3 overall. She's 1 and 1 in the UFC, uh, having won her debut back in January over Yanan Wu, then lost a unanimous decision to Carl Hosa in February uh, in her quick turnaround uh, second fight in the UFC. Odds on this one close, but they do favor Clark. She is minus 145, Edwards plus 125 as the slight underdog. Uh, Keith, who have you got in this one? Um, this is a really weird placement on the card. Um, I don't know. I just, I mean, there isn't a lot of sense to the placement of a lot of the fights. Just this one, 
Um, I kind of tend to forget about Jessica Rose Clark because she's been a little inactive. Um, I was looking at her fight record, and it really surprised me that she turns 34 next month. I was kind of like shocked by it. I was like, wow, I, I would if you asked me how old is Jessica Rose Clark, I would have guessed like, 28. Yeah, 26, 27. Like, I, I was thinking there's this younger fighter, but she's really not. She's kind of, she's already probably past her prime years. Uh, she's undersized for the weight class. Like you, the fact that we didn't know what weight her last fight was. Like she's a she's a tweener. She's probably, um, she's she's not Paulo Costa at one twenty five. Or you know she can't make the weight class. But uh, you know she tends to. She's probably maybe more of a one thirty pounder than thirty five or twenty five. Um, she's not a great athlete, but she really makes up for 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 just pressure. I mean, we've seen, especially recently, we've seen a lot of fighters. Jamie Malarkey, I think, is a perfect example. The guy who's not a great athlete, just makes up for it by being freaking insanely tough in pressure. She's not that high output of, but uh, she is always kind of marching forward. She tends to generate some power by sitting on her punches, but she is flat footed, so that means she get she can't can't avoid blitzes uh, as much if you if you're not on the balls of your feet, especially to move laterally. Um, she likes to fight in that mid range. I wouldn't say she's all the way in brawler but she's not an outfighter because she's you know she has uh size disadvantage but she'll definitely have a size disadvantage against jocelyn edwards um she uses a slip and rip style again seems like a theme uh she's also will close the distance when she gets in close she's looking to close the distance just to grind and clinch uh, she's a girl that like she wants to get the fight to the ground but i actually think she doesn't want to get it down right away she wants to get in the clinch and kind of grind a little bit try to wear you out um little short knees to the legs knees up the middle uh she she'll sneak in a takedown I'd say good, a bit, just busy ground and pound. Like, I don't think she, um, but against Sarah Alpa, it was fantastic ground and pound. So I want to throw that in there. Um, the thing, even though that ground and pound, and, and you mentioned her butchering Alpar's fight uh, face right before her wedding, uh, people remember that. But the thing that really stood out to me when I wa- rewatched this fight was uh, the, um, the, t- the tenacity of Rose Clark and her willingness not to give up any position like when she was Alpar who's known for wrestling got a takedown uh the hip control of Jessica Rose Clark like there was there was a lot of single legs and, and a way to win the single leg is to if so whatever leg so if you have the opponent's right leg to try to get their hip but you know the upper part their hip on the mat and Jessica Rose Clark did not allow that. She was like, it was like the canvas is lava game. And she was just keeping her hip off that as much as possible. Kept uh, crossing it back up um, and just worked her way to her feet. And that was, that impressed me. She just made Alphard like never win a, an inch. Now move over to Jocelyn Edwards. She's the opposite of Jessica Rose Clark when it talks about size. She's big for the weight class. She's a tall, lengthy girl. On the feet, she's aggressive kickboxer, fast hands. Uh, does tend to drop her hands, though. Um, she throws from her hips. Good power, though. Hard leg kicks. Kicks to the body, too. Keep kicks up the middle. I like that she initiates. Uh, she she doesn't want to grapple, but what I like is when it gets in close, she wants to be the one to initiate the grappling. So she's on the offense. So she's looking at the plum clinch, uh, knees up the middle, using her height advantage. Uh, will go for a takedown. Pretty good at winning scrambles. I'd say overall her weak takedown defense, and I don't think she wants to scramble with Jessica Rose Clark. I don't think she's going to win that position. But if she does, it wouldn't shock me. Like She's a better grappler than, than people give her credit to. Um, but she spends too much time on her back 
tossing up submissions, which I don't like. Prediction goes, both fighters have, I think, have clear avenues to victory. Uh, Clark's going to want to get in close. Edwards going to want to keep her distance and kind of use her just naturally gifts of the physical gifts she has, of height and power. I think Edwards is really good in one area. Like, I think she's a really good striker. Well, I don't think Rosa Clark is good, any, really good anywhere. She's adequate. She gets the best out of She's one of these girls who, uh, I, and I, I apologize for saying girls. It's just a natural. I'm not trying to disrespect her. A female fighter. So, the, no, don't get at me with feminism nonsense. It's, it's not disrespect. Uh, um, she, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I'm just getting more hate for it now. Um, back to this fight. Um, she isn't superb anywhere and just because of that i just have this gut feeling this is going to be a passing over the torch moment so i'm going to go with edwards to avoid the cage to land the better shots from distance and i'm really close for there's going to be clinching moments but i think edwards going to do enough in the space that she gets uh to pick up a decision so give me edwards my decision you broke down this fight basically exactly all the things that I was gonna, I was going to lay out there. Uh, Edwards has better weapons in certain areas, but you know Jessica Rose Clark, bet more well-rounded, and tends to fight to her, to her own best advantage. Like uses her skills and her physical gifts a, a, as well as possible. I think the longer this fight goes, the more it favors uh, Clark. Not because Edwards has a suspect gas tank or anything like that, but just Clark's constant pressure and at bantamweight her good cardio uh, just tend to make her like a handful to deal with over over the course of a fight. Edwards, I think the first half of the first round is going to be a dangerous time for Clark. Uh, Edwards comes out very aggressive. Clark hasn't fought in over a year. So if there's any rust to get knocked off, like here's just hoping for her sake that her head doesn't get knocked off with it. Uh, but I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm picking Edwards to win this one and probably have Clark in trouble in the first round, probably win the second round as well. And, and maybe, uh, Clark, you know, has her in some trouble in the third, but just a pretty straightforward 29-28 decision. And yeah, a passing of the torch moment. I, I don't think we're anywhere close to seeing the ceiling on Edwards. Whereas, I mean, the Clark we saw against Alpar, I mean, that's probably Pete Clark. That's probably, well, 32, dominant victory, probably, you know, is, is going to go down as the best win of Clark's career. That brings us to the co-main event of UFC Fight Night 196 a lightweight matchup between Grant Dawson and Ricky Glenn. Dawson, the 27-year-old Nebraskan by way of Kansas City, is 17-1 overall. He's a perfect 5-0 since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series back in 2017. Uh, fought most recently in March, knocking out Leonardo Santos with one second left in uh, their fight at UFC on ESPN Brunson versus Holland. Uh, he takes on Glenn, the 32-year-old Iowa native, uh, 22-6, or sorry, 22-6-1 overall, 4-3 in the UFC. Uh, those fights, I believe all of them uh, conducted at featherweight, but he's uh, missed weight before and now just moving up to, to lightweight for good. Uh, he fought most recently in June, knocking out uh, Joaquim Silva in just 37 seconds at UFC on ESPN. Korean Zombie versus Ige. Uh, Dawson, one of the strongest favorites on the card. He's out there minus 365. Glenn, plus 300 to plus 310 as the substantial underdog. thing about Grant Dawson is he feels, he still feels like a prospect, 
one, because he's just 27, and two, because for a variety of different reasons, he's only fought like five times in four years since getting to the UFC. So there's just always this feeling that he's got this enormous potential and he's he's going to turn a corner at any moment, even though he's still winning all his fights, but turning a corner in terms of, you know, already being in contention, like fighting top 10 type guys. There's a feeling that I have that if he'd been able to fight more consistency, consistently, like even if he'd just been able to fight like 10 times in four years instead of five, which that's not that busy a schedule at all by UFC lightweight standards, if you're able to stay healthy, that he might be like a, a top 10 fighter at this point. He has the look of it, uh, plus athlete, like strong, fast, coordinated, great balance. Uh, on the regional scene coming up and in his contender series fight and, uh, you know, his first UFC fight, pretty much a, you know, wrestler who had, you know, learned to grapple. I feel as though his striking has come along. Like, you'll break that down better than me, but he seems more confident, uh, uh, more defensively sound on the feet than he was in, in 2017 or 2018. But just a guy that, like, overwhelms with uh, with wrestling, with pressure, with, uh, you know, he's he's not a lazy guy on the ground i don't see him stalling very often he's one of those guys that he's he's punishing his opponent while threatening to advance position or while out of the corner of, of his eye he's working to line up a, a submission to threaten them so just once he gets people on the ground he keeps them reeling keeps them constantly on the defensive uh, just feels like anytime he takes a guy down, like you're looking at a 10-8 round because they're probably not getting back up and they're just going to be in survival mode. I like Ricky Glenn a lot, but that is just a bad matchup for him, you know, it, to try to plant his flag at lightweight against a guy like this. Uh, Glenn at, at featherweight was a real, really tall, lanky, leggy guy. He's still going to be a good bit taller than than Dawson and just not, you know, not not as physically strong. Uh I I expect Dawson to probably again you know test his fortunes on the feet. There's n nothing like the confidence of a wrestler who's who's you know really developing his kickboxing and and wanting to test that out. But he's going to get this to the ground, you know certainly by halfway through the first round. And then it's just a question of how good Glenn is at sweeping and escaping, throwing up submissions, or just surviving. But. Uh, Give me another emphatic win for Grant Dawson and the talk about fighting a contender will spark right back up after this. Uh, Dawson by second round. Uh, I'll say TKO on the ground, but could be a submission. Yeah, I mean, if, if Grant Dawson gets past Rick Glenn, you're right. Like he should fight a contender. I mean, he's got a great record in the UFC. He's he's in the prime years of his career and he's good. So his last fight, I said all this terrible stuff about him on the feet like i said his boxing need a lot of work uh, i'm looking at his my notes last time it says hands are slow he throws a lot of arm punches he stands really high uh he overreacts when he gets hit like kind of spins and stuff and and then suddenly his last fight he looked way better now everything i said from like hands are quicker um generating more power uh, sitting on his punches more he still probably overreacts to his getting hit a little bit too much but other than that like he he made big improvements which is what you want to see when you're 26 27 years old uh, he's got good output now he's stepping into his shots uh he's adding in stepping knees a lot of kicks body kicks um calf kicks was a real good weapon for him against nana Ramani. Uh, and he's a good wrestler like you mentioned it that's like 
his striking is improving, but the uh, cornerstone of his game is still his his grappling. Uh, good timing on his entries, great hip control, both defending takedowns, but also driving through, keeping his hips underneath his opponent. He on the ground, he, like he's a strong grappler. I mean, I, I shouldn't even say strong. He like he's a really good grappler. Uh, heavy top pressure. I mean, he advances position, good back takes, uh, good submission. I mean, he submitted Derek Minner. Like Derek Minner's a good grappler, and he and he submitted him. Um, he beat up Leonardo Santos. Now Rick Glenn, I, I feel like we feel the same way. Like I like Rick Glenn. He's well rounded, southpaw. Uh, he has a really unorthodox, herky jerky uh, Keith Jardine style to his game, but um, he's good output. Uses a lot of feints. A lot of body kicks, especially from the, I guess, an orthodox fighter from his south point stance. And then suddenly he has power like out of nowhere. He's starching Joaquin Silva, which has never been known for Rick Glenn's game. He's a good wrestler, uh, though Dennis Bermudez kind of exposed his, his defensive wrestling a little bit. Um, but I like that he worked uh, to get back up to his feet, worked well that way. Um, and like moving up in weight, he was never a smaller guy, so I don't think the size advantage will be it's just i'm gonna go with dawson because he showed me improvements and i think he's gonna continue to show improvement um he's tough he's a t- i think this fight is tougher than the odds say because glenn has that crafty veteran gerald burshot type feel to him uh glenn is a is a dog he's gonna always be in the battle uh, i just i i really like dawson's grappling as you were talking about uh I'd be surprised if he submits. Well, actually, no, I wouldn't be surprised if he submits Rick Glenn. Not that Glenn has bad grappling by any means. It's just I really like Dawson's grappling that much. That wouldn't surprise me. But I'm, I still say finishing Glenn is a tough out. So give me Dawson. But I'm with you, like in a pretty dominant decision. There we go. Two emphatic calls for Grant Dawson to keep the train, the hype train, as well as his own career train rolling. With that, we arrive at the headline fight of UFC Fight Night 196. An originally scheduled middleweight bout, which became a 195-pound catchweight bout, which has now officially become a 205-pound, essentially light heavyweight contract weight bout between two recent middleweight title challengers in Paulo Costa and Marvin Vittori. Now, Keith, ahead of a main event like this, normally I would be asking you about the immediate implications for the middleweight title picture. We're talking about a guy in Costa who literally just took his first career loss of any kind uh, at the hands of Israel Adesanya, and then a guy in Vittori who has only lost to Adesanya in like the last five years, and neither fight was a complete blowout. We're talking about two top five guys in the division on resume and on accomplishment. Hold on. You said neither fight was a blowout? Yeah. Well, like, Adesanya, Vittori- Adesanya blew Costa out. No, no, no. Uh, neither, neither of Vittori's losses to Adesanya were a blowout. Sorry. Oh, oh, I, didn't, I didn't phrase that. No, I, I misphrased that. Yeah, he destroyed Costa and humiliated him. Oh, I'm him. sorry. I, I yeah. sorry. You're talking about both of Vittori's. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, yeah, both of Vittori's losses to Adesanya were at least competitive from round to round. Uh, so normally, I'd be asking... How far is the winner of this fight from another shot at the title or or who else is even in the picture? Instead, the question I have for you is, if Paulo Costa loses, is he going to get cut? I don't think he'll get cut. Um, 
should it happen? Maybe, but the problem is, is like this is the issue. I was having a discussion with people, and and I know cost is not the same star that John Jones is, but there was yeah you know, narrative with the John Jones domestic violence stuff, and you always have to like tee up what you want to say that you want to warn. Don't l- listen to what I say. Don't add things that I'm saying. Like people are saying, like John Jones should be cut. Domestic violence. I mean, how many chances do you give this guy? Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. Domestic violence is terrible. I'm a freaking police officer. I arrest people for domestic violence all the time. 100% agree. It's terrible. The worst thing you do, beat up a woman. But he doesn't get cut. Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, he's a big star. He makes a lot of money. But two, you cut him, your competition's going to sign him right away. Like, So it's like not only are you weakening your product by not having this money-making star but two you're also helping your competition by giving them like the best star now i know somebody's going to say well it shouldn't matter your reputation as a company should be above that i I agree like i agree with you i'm just saying why the uc doesn't happen i feel the same way with Costa to a lesser scale he's not the star that john jones is but if paulo costa got cut by the ufc bellator signing him tomorrow to fight the Mm -hmm. 205 division because like Anthony Rebel Johnson has missed weight and has had a lot of criminal issues. So, you know, anyways, back to this. So I don't think he gets cut. And as far as the title picture goes, it's so tough because 185 is such a wide open division in, in the sense of who's next for a title because Adesan is beating everybody. So you kind of do in the second round. And in this case, Vittorio would be the third round. Uh, in a sense, moving to 205 probably helps both these guys' career because you're the new fresh face in the division. I mean, because you already got smashed by the champion out of Sonya. Vittori, you lost to him twice now. Like, yeah, like, you're right up there as a contender. You beat Coster. That's a really good win. Obviously, I'm talking 185. Uh, but that's not a fight that UFC, like, we always talk about UFC picks up the phone, calls who's the next contender. Like, you still don't want to call Vittori after you see him lose twice. Mm-mm. So, in a sense, there might be a uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Like a it, – it, it wasn't ideal for them, but it actually could – like the silver lining, like they could actually work out for them. Tossing the winner of this could kind of toss that name right in the contention at 205 if they want to stay in the division. Obviously, I don't think Costa is going to have a choice anymore, but Vittori obviously still will. Let me ask you this. This is a main event that I was really excited for. Two warriors, two bangers, two high up, like, you know, just destruct, you know, destruction guys, just two, either guys can knock each other out, you know. Does the whole weight thing take anything off your excitement for this fight? Enormously. And here's why. If they had simply announced this thing three months ago as a light heavyweight fight, I would have been like, okay, that, that makes sense. These are two top five guys, but neither of them has an easy road back to Adesanya. So it makes sense that they would do this. And whoever wins is, like you said, an immediate, at least interesting new face at 205. Like if yeah. if Paulo Costa showed up at a fit looking 205 and blew Vittori's doors off, all of a sudden, you know, you want to see him against the top five 205ers. Sure. You know, you're talking about a guy that already had a pretty convincing win over Yoel Romero, you know. Uh, but 
because of the way this happened, my my interest has waned. And that's because I have the feeling that Costa is just going to come out and lay an egg. I was questioning his motivation level from pretty soon after the Adesanya fight. I feel as though like that fight was the like that was the pinnacle of his career is like his shot at the title. Like they built it up with just this incredibly sure. hostile, you know, uh publicity tour basically and then he got completely humiliated to mm -hmm. the i mean i'm not saying it was appropriate but it was appropriate to their fight and their relationship for adesanya to like do the dry hump of him after he just beat the shit out of him what has costa done since then but make excuses related to a wine hangover <laughs> pull out of fights i mean he was always a guy that ballooned to huge size between fights like you'd see him sitting cage side in his like weird like tropical shirts and his head just looking three times the size of his head on fight night like, like a football player like like a celebrity football player in the yeah you know. but and you know I mean? it, it clearly just takes an enormous amount of discipline and motivation for him to make 185 and show up in, in peak shape and if it's not for a title from now on I, maybe he doesn't find that he like I, I'm stepping out on on thin ice here saying this. I don't know him personally. All I have is the same observable evidence that all of us have if you follow the sport. But he seems like an immature and temperamental guy. Absolutely. And now that he's, like, with his own team, like, n none, of your, none of your flaws are going to get better if you leave to, to found your own team. Yeah. You know, it, it never served BJ Penn well. And he's probably probably the best example of it. Like even when Uriah Faber found a team alpha male, he brought in head coaches that told him what to do. Derek, they went Derek Brunson yeah. when he left and had his own gym going for a while. Like his career really fell off. Yeah. And then when he decided, like, oh no, this ain't working. Let me go down to Florida. Now he's contender again. Yep. Like I, and for that reason, sorry, this is a long way around to answer a simple question. Because of the way it's happened, I am less excited for this fight now. Yeah, me too. Absolutely, me too. And I was really excited. It was one of the I mates mean, been the best main event we've had in a while, mm -hmm. you know, three, four weeks now. It, it, stylistically, it was a very intriguing matchup. And also, to me, there's a built-in excuse, especially if Vittori loses now. Yep. You know, like, Costa loses, there's not as much excuse, but definitely Vittori. Like, oh, yeah, I went up 20 pounds. I was, I was sucking my body down to 185, and then I had to go up 20 pounds. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I've lost an excitement to it. And, and Costa's law. I mean, Costa was never the most popular. Uh, I think his fighting style was popular, but some of the things he's done is is cost him some fans. This one really cost him a lot of fans. Like, I don't, I haven't seen anybody say anything positive about Costa in a really long time. No, like his personality, if he's winning, it's okay. He can come across as just kind of like an angry heel. If he's not winning, it gets like it gets tiresome pretty quick, which is why yeah. like the whole, like I, I lost to Adesanya cause I had a wine hangover thing is like, yeah. dude, <laughs> even if it's true, why would you say that? Think about a guy like Marvin Vittori who has lost to Israel Asana twice, like in this weird, almost can't, can't admit that Adesanya was better than him that night. This weird, like not <laughs> refusal to accept that Adesanya beat him up. Almost like, remember, remember he was like saying to Adesanya that he won. In a clearly, clearly one-sided decision, yeah. um, but 
you got to be a, <laughs> a very unique person to make that guy in Vittori the fan favorite. Yeah. Right? Where everyone, you know, in the in the sure dog forums and the Facebooks and Twitter and all this is saying like, oh, God, oh, Vittori smashes them. Like, <laughs> wow, Vittori's like a fan favorite now. Yep. It's I mean, it's the same way that like like Michael Bisping like became a hero to some people overnight just by knocking out Luke Rockhold because so many That's people true. seem to dislike Rockhold. People dislike them. That's right. Um, yeah. So <laughs> the the thing about this, so I want to say this to any listeners who just jump in because I get I get not everyone's going to listen to you know a two hour breakdown. They might just skip right to this fight. We go way more into it, the whole disaster that professionals of Paul Costa and the very intro. So if you want to know our opinions, go to the very intro of, of this. Um, but this fight, back to the this is two of the most ripped up guys in, in UFC. Two like the these are the this is the bro crew guys fighting it out. Oh, yeah. Like like this fight, if if UFC had themes, like if they went to where fights should take place, like this would be like UFC Venice Beach. Just oh, yeah. Know, I mean like put, these guys Put it right on the beach with the bodybuilders around them working out in the crowd. <laughs> like, boom. <laughs> Especially, like, because neither of them has really bad cauliflower ear, it almost just, it looks too good. It looks like two guys that they cast to be fighters in a movie. Because this is what people think fighters should look like. That's right. It's kind of like, uh, I mean, a little off topic, but this uh, Saturday there's also, you know, Glory Collision 3 is happening. And every time I see Rico Verhoeven, I'm like, dude, you are too handsome to be a kickboxer. You look like somebody that was cast as, like, yeah. a kickboxer in a movie. Yeah. Like just because he's he's built like a Greek statue, he's like a good-looking yeah. dude, and he's like very kind of smart and well-spoken. It's like no, you're not a real kickboxer. But then he's like the best heavyweight on the yeah. planet right now. <laughs> uh, all right, let me let me do the the usual kind of uh, sure. uh, intro sure. here, and then and then we'll like actually talk X's and O's. Uh, Paula Costa, thirty-year-old uh, Brazilian, is thirteen and one overall. Uh, he is five and one since joining uh, the UFC out of uh, what season of uh, Tough Brazil was it? I don't remember. Uh, at any rate, started his career with 12 straight wins, lost uh, last September to Israel Adesanya in humiliating fashion at UFC 253 and has not fought since. He takes on Vittori, the 28-year-old from Northern Italy by way of uh, Southern California is 17-5-1 overall. He's 7-3-1 in the UFC, having lost only to Antonio Carlos Jr. all the way back in 2016. Then the two uh, decision losses to Adesanya. He has a draw to Omari Akhmedov. All the rest of it wins. Um, odds? They started fairly close. Vittori was uh, minus 145, minus 150 favorite. Costa around plus 128 as the underdog. Uh, those odds have ballooned as Costa has. Uh, right now, Vittori is minus 180. Costa around plus 155 or plus 160. So it looks as though, uh, you know, betting faith in uh, Costa is dropping off just a little bit with all these weight changes. Again, all, all my questions here with Costa missing weight this badly means he knew that he was going to miss weight badly coming in. Uh, did, I don't know if he had a bad camp, nursing an injury. I'm, I'm sure we'll hear that he was nursing an injury. Like he's got the whole 
Brazilian book of excuses ready to go. But it all, again, just makes me question his level of motivation for this fight, the level of discipline with which he uh, conducted his camp. And when you're talking about taking on a guy in Vittori who just kills people with pace, cardio, just a relentless, uh, like relentless output, willingness to wrestle or be a pressure striker, a t- just a tiring, exhausting guy to fight. And this is a, still a five rounder. I'm, I'm just, I'm expecting Vittori to just lay the wood to Paula Costa here. Under ideal conditions, Costa has some, some weapons that could definitely threaten Vittori. He's one of the hardest kickers in the UFC and a kicker to all levels, you know, brutal leg kicks. Uh, he will throw the head kick. His body kicks uh, were the thing that really first brought him to my attention when he was coming up in the UFC. Just some of the, the hardest body kicks that the the kind of ones that like hurt people and change their game plans, even if they blocked them. Uh, kicking is tiring. Like how many kicks is he going to throw? Is he still going to be throwing them in the second round? Is he still going to be throwing them if Vittori catches one and takes him down and he spends the rest of that uh, uh, the rest of that round getting an elbow ground into his his nose? Yeah, like I, I was already leaning Vittori pretty strongly here, and it is only more so now that you know I, I know what I know about the build up to this fight. Uh, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick this to make it to the final uh, to the final horn. Give me Marvin Vittori by a second round finish. I'll say submission, like he is just beating the crap out of him on the ground. Costa kind of wants out, turns to his side or gives his back. Vittori frames up a, a rear naked choke and this thing is over. Vittori big time, uh, round two submission. Yeah, so it, if you have Paul Costa and it goes down exactly the way that you just called it, like pull out your... I was drunk on wine excuse, but just like go all the way, like go straight. Mike Tyson. I had a broken neck. It was spinal. Like just do it all the way. Like don't give us like some crappy one. Just go. I got a broken neck. <laughs> like that's what I want. Um, so you brought up a lot of points that had me thinking. So like you talked about his motivation. Um, yeah, I, I get it. That, that, that I question that too. Um, you talk about changing camps. That's always a huge red flag for me. Um, no, sorry, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Opening your own camp, not changing camps, because some change changing camps is is, is the right move. Um, I, I agree. Like he, I don't know about this. Um, I know he's always had camps centered around him. I know he has the uh, connection with Eric Albalarzine and Fight Ready and all this, but it was more centered around him, not like a you know going down there. Working with uh, uh, what's his name, Chaw? There, what's his first name? Um, what at Fight Ready? Yeah, the head coach there. Uh, Chaw's his it... last name. Chaw's his last name. Eddie? I... Eddie Chaw? Eddie Chaw? Is it Eddie? I'm blanking I'm bl- right now. Yeah, I am blanking. I think it's Eddie Chaw. I apologize to Mr. Chaw if I'm wrong. Which I probably wouldn't have his last name right. <laughs> um, anyways, th- that really gives me some red flags. But one thing I always try not to I always try to do it by the X's and O's. Sometimes I am completely wrong with the X's and O's. Sometimes I hit it dead on. Um, because those other things are hard to measure, hard to know. You have to be in their brain. Um, one thing when I was watching tape study on these two guys, <laughs> this stood out to me when I was watching tape study and on Costa and Vittori was 
holy crap, Israel Asanya is so freaking good. <laughs> and and I think I I don't know if anybody on planet Earth is a bigger fan of watching Dave study of Israel Asanya than me. Like I'm watch I'm supposed to be watching Faith Dave study on them, and I'm watching Israel Asanya taking notes. Like oh this guy he does this he does it. he's so and I just he's my favorite person to ever made a to do a Dave study on. Um, no, Alex Volkanovsky is getting up there too. Um, so Paula Costa, it, I was listening to our breakdown uh, that when me, you, and uh, we had special guests that time, we had Jay Petri with us for his last fight. And Jay really just, and Jay's a staff member for sure, dog, if you guys are familiar with him. Uh, Jay described Costa perfectly when he called him like a storm. He's, he's a storm that's coming in. He's very aggressive, charge forward style. Just walking down his opponents, he cuts off the cage really well. Uh, I said this last time about him. He's absolutely fearless. Like when he fought Yoel Romero, he was absolutely fearless. He just stepped in the pocket and threw punches, and that was huge. Now he fought as Sonya, a completely different strategy. Didn't work for him. He wasn't. He was actually very fearless with Sonya, but way different. You you can't just come forward on Sonya. He'll just pick you apart. Um, he throws everything with bad intentions. Like he, he's not looking to knock you out. He's looking to put you in the hospital for six months. I talked about his his powerful overhand right. How he he uses it. This is the last time we're breaking out. How he uses this as a setup. Like he's he throws this knockout blow. And if he, if he lands, it's cool. But he throws it and follows it. Like he he throws his overhand right to get you to force your hands up. And then he while he throws that, he's shifting his body weight to really set up this hook to the body, which I absolutely love. That he's kind of the, the the big blow is not really the one he's trying to land. Uh, his short left hook is what dropped Romero in that fight. When he has his opponents, this is the thing that really impresses me. When he has his opponents trapped against the cage, he has a killer instinct. He's going to unload like a ten punch combination. Um, and he obviously he has huge power. You talk about his leg kicks; they're destructive. They're not chopping. Like kicks, they're like crippling you. Like kicks, they're the they're Justin Gaethje style. Where they have Justin Gaethje. When we, we were breaking down Justin Gaethje versus Edson Barboza and the, the difference between the chopping leg kick and the like, send your kneecap into the third row. Like that's kind of, like he he actually like almost. I said it last time he like almost skips into it. And I apologize if I'm getting knocked around. My dog is going crazy. And it's, I've been trying to pet my dog this whole time, and she's she just wants attention. Um, you won't see much offensive grappling from. Uh, Paulo Costa, but to his defense, he's shown to be able to uh, fend off wrestlers. I mean, Yoel Romero, former world champion, Johnny Hendricks, who was two-time, almost a three-time NCAA champion, um, D1 NCAA champion, um, and going in this cardio obviously is a big mystery. Can he go 25 minutes? But to his credit, for a guy who throws so hard, he has really good like output. For a guy who throws his heart, I mean, he, go, he like he landed like 130 power strikes on Yoel Romero in 15 minutes. Now all you gotta do is just tone it down a little bit, and he probably does have the cardio go 25. Now again, this is based off a guy who's been out for a long time, so I, I get that I'm going back a couple of years on the film study, but that's all I have. Now move over to Vittori. He's also a very physically imposing guy. He's also aggressive, likes to throw down in the pocket. Um, Good head movement, good shoulder rolls. So when you hit him, it's kind of very glancing. Um, he does this to kind of put himself in position to land power shots, power, power hooks. And he's a guy that we talked about 
I think it was two or three fights ago. This is a guy who's just starting to develop his power. Like he, even though he's so physically posing, he's never been a big cracker, but we're starting to see that more. Where I think he has um, like damaging power, not put you out, lights out power. Um, he's very left hand happy though. That's his go to strike, uh, and he drops his hands a little bit for my liking. But good body kicks, good clinch work, and as you talked about, he's a very good wrestler, especially for like. Like shout out to an Eastern European guy to make wrestling such a huge part of his game. Um, I'm sorry, I was just sorry, Western European guy. Eastern, they always have yeah. the Western European guy. Um, good entries, solid top control on top. Like he's he wins rounds with his wrestling. He doesn't just take you down to uh, get a takedown around. He, he like he's very good at keeping you down. Um, he has a submission threat, and he's shown the ability to go 25 minutes. Uh, as far as the prediction goes, um. You have me really concerned, really concerned about Costa. Um, I think you made some really, really good points. But this prediction is going to be a super cop-out. If this fight was at 185, I was taking Vittori. Uh, I just think that weight cut on Costa would have been too much. Going at 205, and the fact that maybe Costa already knew. I mean, when you when uh, Costa was talking to in the interview, and again, I, I might be reading too much into this, but Vittori like almost was agreeing on the spot to to fight at 195. He's like, oh, you can make 195. And Costa's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but when he's talking about 195, he kept going like, I'm a 205. We're just making a light heavyweight. 205. He kept like, but he just you just said you can make 195. Why are you pushing for 205? Like, I I don't trust that he didn't already know this in the back of his head. That it wasn't already a plan. And he's already. It's not often that Marvin Vittori is a smaller guy. Like in any fight, I mean he's I mean he pricked up. Look at Marvin freaking Tory, um, but he will be against Paulo Costa even at one eighty five. Now you give Paulo Costa extra twenty pounds for guys already huge. Um, I think he's gonna be bigger. I actually have always thought he's been faster, and I don't think he's as intelligent of a fighter as Vittori, but I think he has more physical tools. So being at two hundred five, I'm gonna go with Costa, and you know what. He seems like a guy at two. Now again, I'm thinking about good Costa. If the if the if the floor just falls out on Costa, like you're saying it will, I will not be surprised at all because I've seen it to guys where guys they they be, leave their own hype, they lose motivation. Staying at the highest level and the dedication is extreme. Plus, obviously, injuries and all this stuff takes a toll on you. But just the motivation to be the best guy in the world is so hard. So I'm with you. I, that really concerns me. But he still has, in my opinion, has the better physical tools. He has the better wins on his record. Uh, um, like like your Romero at that time was a better win than anything on on Vittori's record. So I'm gonna say he cracks Vittori and puts. And I think he actually might get the knockout himself. So give me Costa. I'm gonna say he takes him out. And I, you said second round for Vittori. I'll go second mm-hmm. round for Costa. All right, there you go. Uh, two dissenting picks, uh, and two really picks for the whole complexion of the fight to be a little different. So I'm excited to see how this actually plays out because most of the time, even when we disagree on the outcome, like we kind of agree on the general dynamic of the fight. It's this versus this. Just we might differ on, on what we think will actually win out on the night of the fight. So that leaves me uh, more excited than I was to, to watch this one. And I was still pretty excited about it. It's still the best like headliner we've had on a free card in a while. Uh, but there you go. That is all 14 fights from UFC Fight Night 196, Costa versus Vittori. Uh, ben, fights, yo. no tape study. We haven't 
tape study. Fader versus Tim Johnson. Who are you taking? Tim Johnson in a depressing yeah, win. Yeah, me too. I, I, I was at Tim Johnson's last fight, and Fader was there. And one thing I'll say, Fader was in the best shape I've ever seen. He was, like, jacked. And I'm like, who the hell? That's not Fader. Fader's usually, like, chubby in my gut. Like, yeah. he's the guy, like, hey, this is the baddest dude on the planet. And you're like, like you mm-hmm. know, that's like the, you know, they did it with Daniel Cormier. Fader looked incredible shape. It's, I still think Tim Johnson probably knocks him out in the first round. Yeah, like Tim Johnson, Sad. like. Sadly. Yeah, sadly, you know. Uh, so we'll be watching that as well. But uh, yeah, uh, tune in this Saturday for UFC Fight Night 196, for Bellator 269, for Glory Collision 3. It is an all-hands-on-deck weekend at SureDog as we are just scrambling to get all of our staff covering these events. But uh, Keith and I will be doing the recap immediately after the UFC main event. We'll talk about all 14 of these fights, their implications for the future, any other interesting things that happened at the Bellator or Glory cards. As always, it'll be on the SureDog YouTube page, or there will be a link on the SureDog front page announced through our social media. Hopefully, you already follow us. And on that YouTube live chat, the text chat is open, so we'll be taking your questions, your comments uh, all night. Always good to hang out and talk with you guys. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week, enjoy the fight, and as always, thank you for listening.